0: I'm way back when there were only 9,000 Arsenal podcasts. Six young men from various backgrounds. A young basketball prodigy with more trophies in the last 20 years than taught N.M. Hotspur. An Irish kid with a horrible haircut. A young Jewish nerd who hadn't discovered food yet. A child from Hemel Hempstead who didn't want to be English no more. A handsome young man who learned to play football on the hard streets of Disney World. And a young Mexican AC Milan fan. Hatched a plan to take over the world of Arsenal Podcasts. But then these boys became men. Jared. Ewan. Magic. Aston andy and miguel and the rest my friends is history and now all these years later you tune in every so often to hear their incredible takes their football knowledge and their sensual advice but now it's gone too far you our fans are at long last witness New season. Seven. Seven. <laughs>
1: Seven. Seven. Seven.
0: Welcome to the Gooners
2: Pod. Hello and welcome. I'm Aston here, The Gooners Pod. Today we will see if Everton's new manager bounce will bounce Arsenal's title hopes, or will Arsenal's bounce-back ability bounce Everton out of the league. I don't know, but Bully's checks seem to be bouncing over at Fulham right now. Bounce. (laughs) With me as ever always is Jared. How you doing, man?
3: Great to see you again. A quick 23-hour break from me and you, and we're right back at it. Took a little time to enjoy some uh, Premier League football, as it looks like a number of people in the chat did as well. I already see Daniel, Joshua, mad in there and it looks like a number of them were watching Chelsea so that's good to see because it was a an enjoyable game for a lot of us
2: yeah I I don't think so this is the stuff these are the intangibles that we talk about that are that are contextualized in transfers right I you remember I was talking a bit about this with the Jorginho and sometimes players have upside by spending all of that money all you've done is put a giant target on your back bully and every single game it will be held against you. And I think this game is a, a start of what will be a long and banter-filled future.
3: It sure looks that way. I mean, we talked about this yesterday. When you put together sort of a hodgepodge of just, you know, star players and just throw them all out there at once together, it's not a instant hit-the-ground running. They're playing at their peak. There's a lot of betting in time and learning how to play with one another. And a couple of them looked good. I thought Enzo had a good game. Uh, Fafana towards the end looked pretty lively. but. It just shows that regardless of how much money you have, you've got to build a team that works together and give them a chance to get some time to get used to each other to uh, hopefully have some results. But right now, I think that draw moved them up to ninth in the table, but Liverpool with the win obviously overtakes them and pushes them back down to tenth. So if they've got eyes on the top four like they their fans seem to think that they do, they've got a pretty tough climb ahead of them in the next couple of months.
2: I was about. I was about to say Liverpool with the win is a is a tall order right now. Um, mm-hmm. They they seem to be in a uh, Liverpool have to be the most uh, Doctor uh, Jekyll and Mister Hyde I've, team I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. They're one thing one moment, another thing another moment in the same game, and it's it's kind of ridiculous to watch shambolic. But back on back on that bully thing, I, you know what's crazy to me? I know we're all talking about. Okay, listen. Enzo Fernandez plays. They, they literally bought him this week, but he played. But you know what was even more ridiculous than that to me? Ziyech started. Wasn't Ziyech supposed to go to PSG, but they messed up the paperwork, and now he's starting against Fulham? I mean, you have 34 players. You've already talked about how you're going to have to have awkward conversations because when it comes down to it, every player – like there's going to be whole 11s of players – that aren't going to play a single game for the rest of the season, like their season is done. So to pick Ziege, wow.
3: wow, it was really surprising. That was the one thing that kind of jumped out when I first took a look at the team sheet was to see his name on there because, like you said, if if Chelsea was just organized and had their paperwork together like every other team in the world does on transfer day, he wouldn't even be there to see. So to see him put right back in was. Definitely a surprise. And it's hard to say it's because they didn't want to put too many new players in the lineup because we saw a number of them. So it was definitely puzzling from Graham Potter. But I think we're going to see a lot of moving parts as far as their lineups over the next couple of months, because like you said, they've got about 35 guys on the first team squad. So they've got plenty to choose from. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah, it it almost makes you and I mean, obviously, this is an Arsenal show where we'll have our Arsenal biases, but it makes you a, a little more appreciative about what happened on our end, because I think that it's very obvious when you have so many players that you're bringing in high talent, high value players, if you bring them in into an environment like this, you have you really run the risk of spoiling them before they can come good. Arsenal made sure to clear out all of the bad eggs before we started putting new ones in because we didn't want them to adopt those environments. I mean, look at what happened with Guendouzi. I think Guendouzi is a great example Mm -hmm. of a player that if we bought Guendouzi today, like if Guendouzi had not had our experience, but we bought him today, probably would be in and be a winner. But because he was in that bad environment, because he had the the uh, Mustafis, the Socrates, the Kalash the Ozil's around him, it, it, it changed how he was going to behave. And I think that's what you're going to get. If you start, if you get in this situation where players are coming in for hundreds of millions, certain players aren't even playing, it's going to breed a toxic atmosphere real quick, you know, but Hey, you know, my point is I'm not a, I'm not a Chelsea fan. I, I long may it continue. If they want to burn the whole system to the ground, you know, Feel free. You're not going to be relevant next year anyway. After, if Chelsea do not finish in the top like two next year, their fans will no longer exist because they're a plastic club. So it's like they'll never fill a stadium again.
3: Well, not only are they going to feel it from the fan base, but also financially, if they're missing out on Champions League this year and... Uh, especially if they miss two years in a row, they could be moving into Barcelona territory of financial issues. Um, a quick, quick plug here. You'll see it rolling across the bottom of the screen there. Uh, Mike is going to do a, another magic. Mike shows you the money show specifically about Chelsea and their transfer business. Uh, so that'll be coming up in the next week or two. I know it's in progress, but he's down at Gunnar right now. So that'll put a little bit of a delay on anything productive being done, but keep an eye out for that because he's already started to put it together and it's pretty interesting look at at finance. if, If that's something you're into and what Chelsea's doing, it's there's a lot to look at and it could get real dicey for them if they don't see some fairly immediate success.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be an interesting one indeed. And if you like this content you like what we do, make sure to go ahead and give us a like, if you like us, um you know it it helps the algorithm out for us so that we can get our content out there It also means that we can get more cool guests on for you a lot of them like when we have a lot of likes on their show so please you know just give us a like support us it'd be nice um that brings us like you know that's the out there news I wanted to start before we get into the news on the weekend just kind of some wrap up about stuff going on around the club real quick um first of all uh congratulations to Mikel Arteta And his manager of the month award. I think this is his. Yeah, I think this is what his third or fourth one this year.
3: I believe third with the World Cup. I think we're November, December kind of lumped into one. I believe he took that one down. So if you're calling that one month, I think that's still his third this season.
2: Okay. Okay. So I think he's got three. He's got more than Mourinho ever had, by the way. Um, Which is crazy titles, but I mean,
3: yeah but still a guy who's won the league. It's pretty crazy that he didn't have more of them in his time there. I
2: have a question for you. Mikel Arteta is collecting a lot of these, uh, uh, man of the match. Tro- I mean, manager of the month trophies. If Mikel Arteta doesn't win the Premier league, say he doesn't win a single trophy this year. And we come second with 92 points, right? Is he manager of the year still for you?
3: I mean, I guess it would depend on how the end of the season goes and who and who beats us out for the championship. Um, but it's hard to argue against it when he's going to have at least three, maybe four, you know, between now and then he may pick up another one. Mm. It, it's hard to argue against him, especially when I think the obvious team that would potentially take us down to, to win would be Manchester City. And mm. if it was City, I still think Arteta takes it over Pep solely because You look at City, a defending champion who adds Erling Holland, one of the best goal scorers in the world versus an Arsenal team that prior to the season starting, I think the expectation that a lot of people had was we'd be where we were last year, a team fourth, fifth fighting for a Champions League spot. So to kind of outperform your XG, if you want to put it that way, as far as wins and points for the year, I think Arsenal would be so far ahead. It would be hard to to not give him that trophy.
2: Yeah, but you know what about um, Eddie Howe at Newcastle? If Newcastle come fourth, um, do you think that that's worth a shout of manager the manager of the year? If Arteta fails to win the Premier League,
3: I think he'll definitely get some some shouts for it. But I still think if we finish second, ninety plus points, just based on the expectation, I think Arteta yeah. would still get it. Possible Brighton manager that would be if they finish top four. I think they deserve to have a shout uh yeah. for it but I think that's less likely than us finishing first or second
2: it, it, it's a turbulent year I think that like whereas I do think both of those things would be achievement I actually think that I agree that Arteta should still get it because if we scored 92 points I think the improvement from one year to the next didn't we, what were we at like 50 60 last year
3: Uh we just missed Champions League, so probably sixty-nine, maybe. Usually if you hit seventy is kind of the line you're looking at for fourth, and we were almost there. So I'd guess probably sixty-nine, but I don't remember right off the top of my head. It'd still be you know a 23-point difference potentially.
2: Yeah, yeah, like 20 or 30 point difference, which is I think an insane improvement. I don't know if Newcastle getting fourth has improved a 20 point difference maybe they have maybe they have that's why i think they're definitely with a shout and obviously brighton being able to cope with the turbulence in their dressing room i mean they they make it look easy I, obviously there's no turbulence they just keep on moving but being able to sell your best players Over and over and over again, and still come in uh, a European spot for them, even would be crazy. That's an incredible achievement. So, I I agree. Arteta definitely deserves it. It kind of tells you the inconsistency of the league right now that we're the nobody managed to string three wins together this month. But it Mm -hmm. also, I think that uh, I think Arteta definitely with the win over Manchester United, a draw to um, Newcastle. Uh, North London Derby win away. Those are all massive games. And I think the value mm-hmm. of those games is definitely why he deserves it this month.
3: Yeah, I, w- I would tend to agree. I think it's hard to say that someone for the last month has a better resume, especially considering the the win over United was such a big one in terms of not just their place in the table and sort of pushing them out of the title contention a little bit, but just maintaining our lead over city with a win like that is, is pretty important. And, and I think it's deserved. He's, He's deserved all of them he's gotten, and long may it continue.
2: So we're going to play good news, bad news, right? Um, And I'm going to start with the bad news. We're going to start with the bad news, and we're going to go into good news because we like to do the little bit of the goodness sandwich here. We'll start good, (laughs) bad, good, right? So bad news, it looks like Chelsea and City are in for Inwari, um, in Am I – I'm messing his name up right now.
3: I say Warneri, but I'm not not sure either. It's not my area of expertise for sure, the uh, pronunciations.
2: Yeah, but it's just it's come out that they're actually looking to line up a bid for the summer and a serious bid at that um, for the 15 year old. Obviously, you know, the youngest player to ever start a game in the Premier League uh, started by Arsenal this year by Mikel Arteta. I, I, I mean, a lot of, there is a lot of hype for him at the academy right now. It was said that the reason why he played that game was so that we were showing him that we were serious. And so um, I I definitely understand, especially with the bangers Halen has been producing. I mean, we talked about it yesterday. ESR, Saka, Baligan, Nketiah, even to even to a lesser extent, Willick and uh, Reese Nielsen and even Mm -hmm. Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Like we've been doing real, we've been doing like Lamazia level work here. You know, that's a golden generation that I just named. So I definitely understand other teams being in for our talent, but do you let him go if the price is right?
3: I mean, there's very few players I wouldn't let go if the price is right. I mean, outside of Saka, Saliba, basically for a price, everybody's for sale, certainly for a 15-year-old. But uh, (laughs) it's an interesting one that a player of his age that's looking to advance and get into first-team football would want to move away from Arsenal. Because if you're looking at any team in the big six, if you want to call them that, there's nobody that's brought through youth players the way we have and integrated them into the first team if they were good enough for a number of the players you just named when you look up front at Smith Row and Saka. I know not one from Halen, but when Martinelli came in, he started a, at a young age. So I think if any team's shown that there's a path into the first team for playing well, it is Arsenal. And along with that, if you're Waniary, the fact that Chelsea's on that list blows my mind a little bit. You'd think you'd get, he'd get a text message from Omari Hutchinson saying, <laughs> you know what, maybe, just maybe, it's not the move you want to make at this time in your career. Bam, it just seems not like the place it. he's going to... Yeah. I mean, Hutchinson, what's he started? Maybe one game or played one game for them. And now they've added a handful of wingers. I mean, there's virtually no path for him into that first team. And I think he'll be on loan or one of the guys they move out this summer. So it's been a fail from beginning to end. And if you're Winieri seeing that, I don't know how you would think the best move for your career is to follow his path and, and go to Chelsea from Arsenal right now.
2: Would you take Hutchinson back if the price, if he leaves on a free, say, like, you know, we could just snatch him without a transfer fee? Would you take him?
3: Yeah, I would take him back if he wanted to come back and it was free. Now, if there was at any point we were giving Chelsea money for him. No, I haven't seen enough to think that we need him. So if it was free, I'm not opposed, but he wouldn't be the top of my list and I wouldn't pay anything for him.
2: I think murder Sacker could use him, you know, like bring him in and say, like, this is what happens. This is what happens when you leave. It is warm and safe in the Arsenal house. House, But if you leave, you see what happened to Hutchinson. How much did you play? How much did you plan? He just uses him to scare off all the little tykes from signing deals with other clubs and puts him next to one area and says, <laughs> you know, he had a career. He was the next star boy, but now.
3: look mm-hmm. at him. Now he's going to be loaned to some Bundesliga side and we won't hear of him again in the next few years.
2: <laughs> oh man. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. So let's, let's land on the good news, which obviously the big good news around the club today is going to be about Gabrielle Martinelli. Um, signing a a what was it a four and a half year contract with a two year extension option at 180k a week that's big boy money by the way that is that's not little boy money that's not young talented prospect money that's first team starter money you feel me like you're about to break into the two hundreds if you go any higher blood and you're already what he's 21 like he's got years so. and years here so.
3: That's a big contract. I love the four plus one or plus two, whatever it is. He's here through 27, maybe 28. It's great to lock him in. Cause like you said, he's getting starter wages and deserves it because he's one of the first names on the team sheet, every game. It seems like the, the 180, I've seen that quoted a lot. I don't know where that comes from or how true, it's. but if he's on that, that's a significant outlay for a player. And it just kind of shows the commitment the club has to assuming he's going to continue to develop and and hold down that left wing spot for quite some time.
2: I heard it was from actually Ornstein. I actually saw the tweet from Ornstein, 180 confirmed. So that's it. it, But but again, Ornstein also said that we got mudrick. So there, you know, (laughs) how much can you lean on these in the nose, you know, until I actually see it with my own eyes or have some way to confirm it? We're all just guessing. But either mm-hmm. way, that sounds like if Ornstein's willing, confident enough to put that tweet out, that means that if it's not 180, it's damn well near enough. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And either way, it's going to be a big contract. A couple of interesting things about Martinelli. Did you check? Did you see this from this year? This is in the Premier League. He leads for most dribbles completed. So when we said we were giving him a big boy starting 11 contract, well, he is putting out big boy starting 11 numbers, Uh, seven goals, two assists, and 19 appearances this year. More take on success than Serge Gnabry, which we were very interested in bringing him in. So like, what do you got to say about this guy and everything he's done so far?
3: Yeah, I mean, what what can you say? Statistically, he's put himself in pretty elite company this year. And the the best thing about it for me and, and signing him to a new deal, and I think we talked about this before, is I said this summer coming up, Arsenal's the only team in the top six that by making no moves gets better because all of these guys, when you look at the year-over-year progression of Saka and especially Martinelli from two years ago to last year to this year, These guys are on a very steep upward trajectory. So if you kind of extrapolate that out to what they're going to look like two or three years from now, it's going to be pretty scary for everybody in the Premier League to have to deal with both of those two every game running at you. And he's he's great, too, because he brings something a little bit different. You know, Saka is unbelievable, but they're a different type of player. And I also like now that we have the addition of Trossard, he's going to benefit a lot from the fact that he's deputizing Martinelli And that whoever's playing right back for that other team that's trying to stay with Gabby for 75 minutes of a game as he just runs you to death back and forth to have fresh legs come on after him. It's certainly going to ease Trossard's uh, difficulty in getting results, and he's going to look even better because of it. So I think the combination of those two together is going to be great. And what more can you say? It's a great day for Arsenal to lock down a young, talented player like him for a handful of years. It's a great day.
2: Yeah, you were talking about their trajectory, uh, and you, a, as many of you guys on this podcast know, I'm such a fucking stats nerd, right? I love, <laughs> I love watching the numbers. And one of the things that you could argue about was about a year or so ago, when I was telling people, "Oh, you don't understand. Gabriel Martinelli and Saka are coming. They are going to be. They are mm-hmm. world beaters. They are world class. They will be elite. And I will be talking about them in the question for Ballon d'Or in some sometimes and other teams." were laughing and believe understandably so because when I looked at their numbers they weren't superstar numbers you know but now as I see every year year and year out like Sokka and Martinelli like Martinelli is in the 90th percentile for touches in the opponent's penalty area and in the um attacking third 90th percentile you know who's ahead of him Sokka like it's (laughs) insane the the uh, output that these two still very young boys have. And, I mean, it's one of those things, like, I, I don't know how you feel about him, but when I look at Martinelli, there's more to come, right? Like, you see that, right? Because he's not oh, relying yeah. on, like, one move or he's just really fast. Like, Theo Walcott, like, if you pass the ball, like, past the defender, Theo Walcott can run into the space, but he couldn't do much more. Like, I, I, I begged for years for Theo Walcott to learn one trick, one trick to beat a defender, and he just refused <laughs> mm-hmm. to do it. Um, But Martinelli seems to just have this bag of tricks that's just growing every year. I mean, he can, he can burst past you. He can stop on a dime, like just stop dribbling at a dime. He can do those tiny little touches on the edge of a box and really square up to a defender. He's explosive. He can deliver across. He can shoot from distance. He can shoot from close. So when you think about all of those skills in tandem, he's got so much more he can rise to. I mean, I think we really are looking at an easily a a top 10 player in the future.
3: Yeah. I think we're pretty fortunate that we have two world-class wingers in the making. Saka, I think arguably is already there and Martinelli, if he continues on the trajectory he's on is going to be there sooner rather than later. And it's a position that's pretty sought after in world football. To have two of them that are playing at that level is Pretty remarkable, and uh, we're lucky to have both of those guys.
2: So then let's ask the obvious question then. Who do you think has the highest ceiling on our team? All players are in play. That means Odegaard. That means Saka. That means Tressard. That means if you think Marquinhos is the next, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, (laughs) he's in there too. Let's go. You're on the spot. So
3: I'm going to skip on Marquinhos for now. (laughs)
2: Um, (laughs) You sure?
3: For me – It's hard to not say Saka just because he's the one that you don't see any real weakness. And and I love Martin Odegaard. I think he's the most valuable player to this team right now and should be our player of the season if the season ended today. But as far as highest ceiling, I think Saka just does more things than anybody. And the other guy who's kind of an outsider that could get mentioned in terms of highest ceiling for their position in terms of where you'd rank them in world football is William Saliba. Because I think he has Mm -hmm. all the tools to be top, top, center half which way are you leaning we got a lot of good choices thankfully
2: that is that is ooh. the Saliba shout actually hurts you know because that is true I do think that William Saliba and I know I'm going to get slagged for this he hasn't done it yet he does need to be more consistent he's mm-hmm. only been in the Premier League for this year but when I look at that player when I look at the the power and, and and strength of that guy and the calmness and collectiveness that he plays with I just see, like, this guy could be one of the best defenders of all time. Like, straight up. Like, he could leave us and go to, like, Madrid or or Bayern or even staying in at arsenal and literally just be in a shout. Again, we're talking in four, five years' time, not tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But he could really – I really do see that in him because I've never seen a defender seem so unbothered in my life and, I, and not unbothered in a lazy, like he doesn't get to the ball or, you know, but but like unbothered, like I there's not been a, a, like name the striker that he's come against where he's looked like, okay, I'm tired or I'm annoyed or I'm frustrated. Even when he makes mistakes, it's like, eh, I made a mistake. I see that. It's not like a, I had a whole bad game. It's like I made an individual single right. mistake over this 90. And it just doesn't seem like that guy is scary. He's scary. And he's cold, bruh.
3: He is Especially playing in a position where young guys typically aren't the standouts because of all the positions that maturity tends to help guys in, that's it. Being able to handle the pressure of those balls over the top to fast strikers and control your area and read the game. All those things. Everything he has. Now, he's not a perfect player. He's obviously still developing, too. We've seen a few errors this year. But if we're talking strictly about ceiling of a player like you said, he's got every tool you could ever think about to potentially be, you know, one of the best in the world. And yeah. it's, it's great because we haven't been able to say that about an arsenal central defender in a little while now. So it's pretty nice to see.
2: And you know, who goes under the radar, who, who I also think has, has a crazy ceiling, but will never get his name brought up in the, in this talk. Ben white. Ben white's crazy. Like, like <laughs> if you so actually look at what Ben white does and the things that we make him do and the way that he just goes, yeah, sure. Like honestly, and and I mean this with all due respect to Saliba, I think Ben White's been our best defender this year. And he's been doing it at right back. And I haven't I think seen
3: he's a fair shout.
2: Yeah. Like, I mean, you're you're talking about he's gone up against Sun, Zaha, he he and he just takes him, packs. Him. Oh, but Zinchenko though. Got him.
3: I mean, and, uh, and honestly, I think because Saliba gets so much attention, Gabrielle doesn't get his his due sometimes. So yeah, I, I, we're team. in a good spot. Then you could arguably, you know, make a, a solid case for anybody in that back four right now being the best defender on the team this year, which is why we've got one of the best defenses in the league. Eddie making a shout. I, I'm not there yet. His goal scoring numbers are... I know you're a numbers guy. I think in terms of per 90, he's the highest in the league right now. I think Mm -hmm. even slightly above Holland just because of the minutes he's played. I'm not there yet, but I do love seeing him score a lot of goals.
2: (laughs) The thing is, Eddie, the thing about Eddie is Eddie is a swag player, right? As soon as and I and I keep pointing to it, go back, watch the game. You'll you'll see what I'm talking about. It's the Oxford game in the Oxford game. I saw for the first time I'm the guy. And I'm interested to see what Eddie can do while he thinks I'm the guy. I've never seen him think I'm the guy before. I've seen him think I need to prove myself on the pitch. I've seen him say I need to score a goal. I've seen him back himself and say I'm good enough. But I've never seen him say I'm the guy. And that's why I'm like, you know, Eddie, he might be like, you know, he might have a little Ian Wright in him. You know, that might be a rocket ship that's ready to take off a little later. And, and ooh. but like you were saying, this is the best problem to have. This is the first time yeah. in a decade that I've been able to go through my entire team and say I love every single player like this, and I envision a, a huge future in them. You know, I wasn't saying that, uh, you know, and I don't mean any disrespect, but I, I wasn't saying that when Kalajdenc joined. You know, I, I I thought he was great. I thought he was a good guy. I remember the spin and everything, but I never said. This guy is going to be has the potential to be a legendary top player, and I'm seeing that all over our uh, all over the pitch right now. And my God, long may it continue! And and hats and, off to the scouting team. Hats off to Murder Sacker. Hats off to Arteta and Edu. Give them their flowers because they they've earned it. Well, I think I lost you, Jared. I think Jared was. So, I think Jared right. got so in developed in the hype that he just blasted (laughs) off
3: yeah we must be having internet issues at my house I think I've got you again but it's kind of in and out so hopefully we can uh have it last us through the end of the show today
2: oh man but yeah that being said that's that's basically the news around the the club I think one of the more um leading into the Everton game there are a couple of things that we definitely need to hit on Uh, and, and one of those things is a bit Bit of news around the club, the injury situation we do have uh Thomas Partey and Emil Smith Rowe as injury doubts. I so know Emil Smith Rowe's been completely ruled out, Thomas Partey is a doubt, but I have seen things like this mm-hmm. <laughs> where he you seems gotta... to be in training there. Uh, if you look at that little red square, so I don't know if that's Mikel Arteta playing mind games or if he's just got we're taking uh precaution with them either way. Would you start Thomas Parde if you think that there's a risk of an injury?
3: So I, I would start him if he's good to go. Uh, I'm not a huge proponent, and I don't know if we've talked about this in the past of you know saving a player for another game, because even though, you know, Manchester City, it feels like a bigger game to us, they're both worth three points. And what you don't want to do is rest him in a game, lose the points you should have gotten, and then go into a Man City game, you know, three points down from where you could have been. So if he's ready to go, I would put him in the lineup. Um, I know Joshua put in the, the chat here, did party train, uh, like Aston said, he was in the background of some of the photos, but there wasn't, he wasn't featured in any of the photos that the club put out. And I know Michael Arteta was asked about this in a press conference today and gave sort of a uncommitted answer of, you know, he's, uh, not, he's a doubt, you know, we're not going to give too much away, which that's part of the game is not letting everybody know what's available to you. But I think if he is ready to go, he'll start. And maybe a situation where, you know, we're 2-0 up at halftime. Maybe we see a pretty early Jorginho uh, debut and and get him off when the game's sort of already in hand. Get Jorginho some minutes and get ready for City with uh, Thomas Party. So that's kind of my expectation. But if he's fit, I'm absolutely playing him.
2: Yeah, yeah. I definitely think he needs to play, especially because I really, and I know, I know, don't come at me. Everybody would say, hate, but the Jorginho thing, I just really feel like he comes in for Xhaka. You know, I'm really worried about Jorginho playing the, the Thomas Partey role. And I don't know if I'm quite ready to see it yet. If I was going to be ready to see it, Everton, I guess, is the team to see it against, even though uh, Sean Dyche is the, the new manager over there. he He's already doing the the bleep test. Did you see that? Like, he walked in and started doing the, uh, the beep test where, you know, you run between two cones and you uh-huh. have to beat the beep or whatever. Like, he, he just came in hard. So... I know they'll be G'd up for this match. And I'm not sure if an in-your-face game is where Jorginho is going to shine. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I'm ready to be proven wrong.
3: <laughs> yeah, we hope so. It's it's interesting because he, Dyche isn't a manager that when he comes in, you say, you know, you, you kind of wonder what the team's going to do. Mm-hmm. He's, all of his teams, They're they're gritty, they're physical. They kind of take on his persona. So you know what you're getting when they come in. When, when people talk about this game you know, going into the new manager bounce, how's it going to affect us? It is a home game for them. The one thing I would say about that is you're not taking a team that played defensively or didn't really have a style and bringing in a, a free-flowing manager who's going to let them run free and attack. The things that Dyche does in, in terms of instilling in a team that toughness and grittiness that makes them effective, I'm not sure you can instill that in a team in a week. So I'm not sure that we're going to see a typical Sean Dyche team that you've seen in the past Um, I I do expect them to set up defensively and you know with where they're at in the table every point is crucial so I think he's going to go into the game thinking you know for them coming out with one point over Arsenal is is a win so I think we're going to see them set up incredibly defensively and he's going to tell those guys you know play them physical play them tough we're going to be very compact at the back and make them break us down so I know what we're getting but I'm not that worried about the new manager bounce just because I don't think all the things he wants his team to do, you can instill that in those guys who don't have it, you know, in, in the course of a week or so. That just seems a little quick to me.
2: Yeah, I, I agree here where I think that the new manager bounce, when we're talking about that, we're talking about getting a win.
3: Mm-hmm. Them
2: setting up for a draw and getting a draw isn't the new manager bounce. That's actually what he has to do because he doesn't have the bounce yet. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I don't yeah. think that we need to be in fear of having a loss. I, I agree with you where the biggest question challenge was just going to be is if we can score or not because I don't imagine them being too adventurous I don't imagine you know it, it's crazy I don't even know if Alex Owobi will start with them. I think he's been one of their best players this year but in what I imagine Sean Dyche is going to do uh tomorrow I, I'm not even sure if he he starts uh, before we get on on all that because I, uh, we kind of mentioned it briefly I do want to wrap back around to Emile Smith Rowe um It looks like he's not in this game. And we were really hoping that he was going to be back coming after the World Cup. Uh, Jared's not on a beach.
3: I wish I was.
2: Listen, isn't Tom at Gunagra right now? He doesn't get to talk to you.
3: Yeah, he's probably having more fun than all of us today. So,
2: Right. He's probably he's him and Mike are probably at a pool right now with some jets doing something with drinks. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, Emile Smith-Rowe ha- has seen – it doesn't look good, right? And I think that hopefully my spin on it is I hope that this is some post-op growing pains. We knew that we were going to be recovering, so we're just being extra precautious because we don't need to play you. We don't need to push you, so let's let you heal, right? But it, it is worrying, isn't it?
3: It's always a worry when you've got somebody who's missed games like he has. What, what they're saying is this is a thigh injury unrelated to the the groin surgery that he had. So hopefully it's just one of those things. And, you know, if you have a surgery and you're off your feet for a while, especially at the level of a professional athlete, you know, the, the muscles in that area around it are probably going to atrophy a little bit. And there's always room, you know, for, for it to take some time to get your body back in shape, which may just be the case here. And we certainly hope so because, we've seen what an impact player he can be especially coming on as a sub and it's something that we've needed this season and something that you always need when you've got tough games coming up so hopefully this isn't a, a new major injury as much as a small tweak and it's a more of a precaution that's obviously our hope but you never know and it's it's going to be tough to figure out what his career is going to look like if he can't catch a you know a solid run of games at a time in between these injuries
2: oh okay i want to address this though. We're not in New Orleans because Mike <laughs> chose to buy a seventh house instead of paying us here at the TGP. Free, uh, free us employees, okay? Out with the billionaires and, and the the one the, percenters, Mike, taking all the money from this show. And we we don't even get to eat. I don't think he's ever even paid for a meal for any of us. Has he paid for you, Jared, ever?
3: The TGP travel budget's been cut into massively mm. every year because Mike's everywhere. Yeah. He, he, any, he, anywhere that people are wearing Arsenal shirts, you're going to see him pop his head up.
2: Did you did you know that 95 percent of every super chat that you give us goes to Mike's travel budget and not to us? It's it's just yeah. it's shocking, really. It's shock- he's the Elon Musk of the Arsenal podcast world. OK,
3: there's Ryan said he's buying beers here. <laughs> Good. Good.
2: <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is uh shout out by the way shout out Ryan shout out Tom uh shout out everybody out at Gooner if you guys don't mm-hmm. know if you're fa- if you're fans you're like what the heck are these guys talking about every year the Gooners around the United States gather in New Orleans for an event that we call Gooner Gras. it is a time of fun joy and revelry and and a lot of drinking. Let's just uh, a, a, a good amount of drinking. Let's just say that. But it's it's a great time. And it's a, and it's a time to be out with your Gooner family. And if you haven't heard of it, now you have. Check it out next year. Um, speaking of events, I know Tom, uh, myself, Mike, and Craig are talking about doing a Florida meetup. Uh, we'll have some more information that we're going to call it the the Four Dons meetup. It'll be great um and, and and we always encourage this stuff you for you to do this sort of stuff in your groups if you are in a town and you don't really have like a you don't have a bar set up yet go out talk to a bar owner start it up you will be surprised how quickly you will find that you will find other arsenal fans in your area that are willing to set up for you so we're always encouraging this grassroots kind of like movement arsenal america is a fantastic organization to get you started with that and. Yeah, that was a lot of rambling. I, I will I waffled it there for a minute.
3: <laughs> no, it's good, but it's a nice segue because I'll go back to this comment from Moss earlier. By the way, shout out to Moss, always on the in the chat. Super nice guy. He said, nice scarf today. Uh, I'm actually wearing this. You mentioned the Arsenal America groups. Uh, the latest official Arsenal America group is actually from my hometown. I've moved away now, but since I've left, uh, a guy down there named James started a group, the Central Illinois Gooners. They've, they've got their own merch now. See, they've got the canon, the, cannon, the uh, area code, and all the rest of it. Great stuff. And it was just him and one other guy, I believe, started going to one of the local pubs to watch games. And like you said, grassroots style, it's just grown. And now they've got, I think, a couple dozen. They have good groups for the games. So he sent me this. So I was like, I have to wear it on one of the pods and shout him out because it's it's great to see more groups popping up and people starting them in, in new areas. So shout out to those guys and everyone else doing it because that's what makes the Arsenal community so great.
2: You know what else makes the Arsenal community great? When we win games. Like we like we're going to win this weekend. <laughs> That's so, right. Yeah. And, and and we were, you know, we were talking about ESR and I and I think that, you know, we've we've spent enough time on him. The last thing I want to do is put a huge highlight on him and put a lot of pressure on him. We got to remember he's still a young boy and I think that there's a lot more. He's got a lot more to give the club. I'm I'm not at the mm-hmm. state where I'm worried about him at all yet um i think that uh as long as we keep him out of the uh out of the limelight he'll be he'll come good i i really do believe in him that's why we gave him the number 10 in the first but as far as this weekend's concern um if Partey and esr are out are you feeling still confident about the game
3: i am i, I think we've he's, proven he's, <laughs> over time this year Everton. that Yeah, I mean, one, it's Everton, new manager, old manager. They're pretty talented, efficient. Kill
2: kill us. He's going (laughs) to murder us.
3: The next will be Brooke. Uh, (laughs) No, uh, they're just they're they're lacking in quality. They lose one of their best players in the transfer window, one of their best attackers. They're just not on a good trajectory. I actually I like the appointment of Dyche because I think if anybody's got what it takes to crawl them into, you know, 17th and out of the relegation zone, he might be the guy to do it. But as far go as down. what's that, you don't want them to go down. I wouldn't mind seeing it, but I think he might be the guy that helps them out. It'd be interesting to see how they perform under him, but I'm not really worried about the game. You know, we don't have a great record at Godison Park. Over the last couple of years, they beat us there last season. I think it was actually December of 21 when the game happened, but yeah. Odegaard got a goal for us. We gave up a couple late goals, I believe, to kind of give that game away and didn't play well. But when you look at the team that played that game and the team we're putting out there tomorrow morning or afternoon for those in the UK, I know it's the early game there. I believe it's 1230 UK time. Our team's so improved and and not just in terms of talent, but in style of play and the way they work together. I just don't think they've got the talent to challenge us in any real way that's going to result in a win for them. I I think we're actually going to win it fairly comfortably. I know we'll get to our predictions and lineups here in a little bit, but I'm not overly worried about it, like I have been some games in the past when you're away from home, because I expect a, a strong performance like every game we've seen recently.
2: Yeah, and honestly, and I'm, I'm going to say this, Everton, I apologize that it had to be you, <laughs> but we just lost to Manchester City in a game that we pretended that we don't care about, but let's be real. We don't like to lose, and what I want to see the next test so to speak, is I want us to come back with a spanking, just like we did after the United game. Make that our thing, you know. After we lose, after we lose a game or we're disappointed, come back strong and show us that you can do it. In Everton, I'm, I'm sorry, you're just the perfect team to do that against, and, you know. I, 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 we're going to come to our predictions in a bit, but I really, really, really expect nothing less than a, a, a thorough beating. And that's what I think our, where Arteta should set as standards. Like we can't be satisfied with a one nil here or even, even a two nil might be just a little, I, or a two one, I don't want them to score. I want a clean sheet as well.
3: Agreed. I, I, that that to me is the most important thing when we're away from home is to keep racking up clean sheets on the road. That's, that's huge.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 the main thing here is I really want to get a chance to, like you said, we'll have some, we'll have some new tools to try out. Let's try this cross Martinelli thing out. Let's see how we can get a relationship going there. Um, I, you know, let's see, I, I, even though I, I wouldn't mind Jacques and party starting matter of fact, I would prefer it. I still would like to see Jorginho come in and see how he's going to bet. It. And I mean, he, can we get maybe you know a 10-minute a cameo for Kuar so that we can see, you know, this guy can pick up some minutes from Gabrielle, who started now, I think our last 56 games.
3: I mean, he's the Iron Man of the squad. He's underappreciated to play Jesus. that many games in a row, avoid injury, the durability. I mean, he's he's the new granite Xhaka in terms of guys who just have the fitness level that's off the charts and just do not miss games
2: the fuck are we feeding these Brazilians because like <laughs> we because you know Martinelli started every single Premier League game 19 now in a row it's it's really insane and and I think that's why it was so important that we did bring in the um the backups that we did um, for the winter window, because like a lot of these guys are just like, you look at how many games they're playing in a row, but on the flip side of that, you know, we always worry about players playing too much, but is it possible that that's the reason why they're successful? That we need players that play every three or four days because they get into this winning rhythm. And that has to do with a lot of the momentum that's been carrying us through the season
3: see i think i think that's exactly correct the the more you can put out the same group together and they continue to build continuity to go along with the talent they have is huge Um, i always said a couple years back when liverpool was at their peak the nice thing for them and their fans and their setup is every game they weren't making changes to the lineup to adjust for the team they were playing and look for matchup advantages they were saying we've got our 11 we've got our style of play good luck beating us. And they went out there and just put it on every team they played. And I think Arsenal should adopt that strategy. Now we've had a good enough record this season that shows we're able to say, we've got our best 11, you know, how we're going to try and play, you know, good luck getting a result against us because not many people have been able to do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We want to, we want to extend that list and want to break shatter all of that hoodoo that's been kind of, that's what I've, that's been my favorite narrative of this season having every pundit bring up every negative stat that Arsenal has and just watch us smash it. It, it. You know, we've already seen it, obviously, with the North London Derby, but there were a couple of others in there where they're like, oh, Arsenal have – I think it was, again, in the Fulham game we had a really bad stat, and I think against, obviously, Brentford. Everybody loved to bring that up. So I think that putting things right at Goodison Park because – I and correct me if I'm wrong, and if you guys uh, find out this um, that I'm wrong, please, you know say whatever, but I think we've scored more against Everton than any other team in the history of the Premier League. I think they're and, – and that relationship hasn't been quite right for just the last few years, but historically, they're kind of our punching bag. And I, and I kind of want to go back to that. Like, Sean Dyche kind of reminds me of Moyes, so, like, we could maybe, you know, have that relationship. <laughs> you know, that was back when – you know what's crazy to me – do you remember when Everton used to like routinely come in 5th?
3: Yeah, I mean they've been a, a staple of the Premier League. H- have they ever been relegated? I'm not sure that they have. They've okay. they may be one of the few that haven't ever gone down. So not, not it, in the it, Premier it,
2: League era, I don't I don't well, believe yeah. so. Which is why it'd be crazy to watch them go down. Who do you want to get relegated this season? <laughs>
3: That's tough. Let me pull up the list. I don't want to omit someone that's really obvious and have people get on me. Let me pull up the table and see what we're looking at and what our possible options are going to be here. Obviously Everton's down in the bottom. Let's see if I can get it to pull up for me here. I uh, it, it's tough. There's usually not <clears throat> excuse me. There's usually not teams that I I want to see fail and want to get relegated. Um Burnley I hated when they were in the Premier League. They were the ones that I said, I'm fine with them going down because I hated the way they played football. Um, but now I think they're on their way back up, especially with Vincent Company leading them. They're actually playing good football, playing a style that's not horrible to watch, and, and it's being successful for them. So I expect them back up.
2: <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> that's where <throat> Burnley is actually where I was thinking Sambi Lakanga should go, but then he went to Crystal Palace, and I think Crystal Palace will be a great loan with him.
3: I do, too. I think that's a good fit, and I hope he does well there. So here we go, bottom of the table. Southampton with 15
2: points, Everton with 15 points, Bournemouth with 17 points, Wolves with 17 points, West Ham and Leeds, and Leicester all on 18.
3: All right, so if I had to give my prediction of what three I think are going to go down, I'm going to take Southampton, Bournemouth, and Even though they're in 13th right now, I think Nottingham Forest might fall off a little bit and end up being a team that that doesn't make it out. They're in a good spot now, and they're six points clear. Well, no, four points clear of 18th, but I just feel like they're the weakest team that's getting the best results early on, and I'm not sure they can sustain it for the uh, second half of the year.
2: When I was at FanFest, I had this guy from this, this loudmouth Tottenham fan came up and started talking all this stuff. And his buddy was a West Ham fan and his way <laughs> he was trying to talk nonsense to me, like how Arsenal are so bad. He tried to say because West Ham fill their stadium more, like they get a more average uh, uh what attendance. And then we like looked it up and it turns out they fill their stadium to ninety nine point seven and we fill it to ninety nine point five.
3: Which so, I don't even know where the point 0.5 goes because I'm sure everyone listening that's trying to go to Arsenal games this year tickets are impossible to come by. Yeah. You know, so I'm not so, sure where that point 0.5 is at.
2: So for that reason, West Ham need to go down. Um West Ham, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm that this fan, we had a bad interaction. That's how it goes. If you don't want people to wish ill on your team, don't be a douche.
3: Um <laughs> so just Ham, in life in general, it's good advice. <laughs>
2: Yeah. In in general, in general. Uh, So West Ham, I want to see go down. Everton, I think are going to go down. I don't think I think that uh, I don't think that Sean Dyche is going to get them to score enough goals. I think they will draw more than they are. And I think that will be their bounce. So and I don't know if that's going to be enough to get them up. And I think Southampton are, are doomed. I think South Hampton Hampton are pretty good. so That'll be my three, but maybe I just want to see big clubs go down. I don't know. I like to see these new clubs stay up.
3: I, I mean, I like that. I like to mix it up a little bit. With company and the way they're playing, I'd love to see Burnley come back up. And just for the story of it, I would love to see Sunderland make their way back up too. Oh, yeah. Going from being one of the best teams in football to just falling down into absolute football poverty to see them make the climb back up would be would be pretty interesting. And I think they would be a a fun addition to the premier league for next season. So I actually, they're, they're one on my list that I hope gets it.
2: So with that being said, this, uh, this game coming up, what are you, what's your predicted lineup? I think I have it right here, right?
3: Yeah. And I think we've got both of ours on here, although I believe they're the exact same. So (laughs) not much to, uh, to talk about. And kind of like I referenced earlier, it's our best 11, you know, obviously with what we have available. And I'd be surprised if there's any change from this. I think party would be potentially the change, but not due to the choice. I think it would be a fitness issue. If he's not ready to go, Jorginho's going to play in that spot. I think that's pretty clear. And then the only other spot I could think where there's maybe even a conversation would be on the left wing. I think there's some people that would like to see Trossard get some more, just get some more time with the first team to, to just get a little bit more used to everybody around him. So I think he'll play tomorrow, but I don't expect him to start. It, it's Martinelli's spot. We just gave him a new five-year deal for a reason. He's earned it this season, so I expect him in there. But that would be the only other spot I could see maybe a conversation that people would think of maybe rotating a little bit. Because like you said, he's got a lot of minutes this year, and we still have a long way to go. You know, I was
2: on the Trussard train. I was thinking, like, initially before I sent you um, what who I wanted, I was thinking that I wanted Tressard, but then I saw the Martinelli interview, and he literally said in the interview, we're not here for fun. We're here to win titles.
3: And I'm I mean, like, he, he goes full Conor McGregor. We're not here to take part. We're here to take over. And it's hard to not love the guy for it. So, yeah, he's
2: coming in with that fire. I think this is going to be the opposite of the Obama Yang or Ozil situation where mm-hmm. I think we give him this. And he won. he just sounds like a kid that's so grateful for everything that's given to him. And he wants he wants to prove to everyone that he earned this. You know what I mean? He's got that real just hardworking attitude, you know, very similar to Sokka in a way. There's very humble guys that just seem to just want to show off what, everything that they can do.
3: That's what I was just going to say when it's rare that you have one guy that age with that talent level that has that level of humility, let alone two of them, you know, on, on either flank. When you look at the other players of their age that are you know, highly sought after, highly touted, when you look at Phil Foden, Anthony, Mudrick, these are not the most humble of characters in the football world from what we've seen, which is fine. You're one of the best in the world at something. You have a right to have some level of confidence and cockiness, but to have two of the most humble potential superstars you're ever going to see is just another reason to enjoy what we have right now. And as much as we talk about the years to come and how we're building for something big and a sustained uh, you know, level of success, we should still enjoy the moment of how good we're playing right now and enjoy the players we have. Because we talked about this yesterday, while we're probably the best team playing in England right now, I think we may be the most likable team as well, not just in England, but maybe in all of world football. When you look at the players we have that play a pivotal role, it's a pretty likable bunch. We're pretty fortunate to have them.
2: Yeah, like there's, and, and again, no disrespect. I mean this in the cutest way possible. There's a very mascot ability of, of Sokka <laughs> and Martinelli. They seem like two just poster childs. And then again, um, Odegaard, perfect hair, perfect teeth, he smiles at you. He looks like a te- you, you he looks like Ken doll. He yeah. really does.
3: He's a Ken doll of a human being. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we've got Rob Holding and his new American accent, charming charming the pants all of all, off yeah. of all of us. I mean, it really is a very likable team. And even even the guys you, you love to hate are still very lovable, like Xhaka. I I don't think that there's a lot of hate for Xhaka out there. I When I talk to other teams, I, I expect him to be the person that they're like, he's the one guy I hate on your team. And I don't hear anything about him. Everybody hates Ramsdale, though. And I love it. I love it.
3: (laughs) Ramsdale
2: is the best. Ramsdale is the best thing to happen to us since um, Chesney. I said it and I'll say it again.
3: (laughs) I mean, he's as enjoyable a character to watch in goal as I can remember. And the way he gives it to away fans constantly, it's, it's hard for, I see why other teams can't stand him, but as an Arsenal fan, you've got to love it because he gives it to them as much as anybody possibly could mid game. Doesn't matter. He's giving it to the fans and it's, it's really enjoyable to watch.
2: All right, guys, we're going to, we're going to take the last couple of minutes here. We're going to take in some questions. So please, if you guys have any questions, uh, put them up now. We'll go ahead and get them answered uh, before we before we sign off here. Uh, while we're waiting for uh, the questions to come in, what's your prediction for tomorrow, Jared?
3: So we, we both kind of alluded to it earlier. I expect it to be a pretty dominant performance and I don't expect us to concede. I think this season we're giving up 0. 0.8 goals per game and I think Everton's only averaging scoring 0. 0.8 per game. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's a good matchup when you look at it on paper. So I expect a clean sheet. Um, I'm going to say three nil, but depending on how the first half goes, I think it's very possible. We go out there and put a four nil up and really put on a dominant performance.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say five nil. Let's go. Aaron Ramsey. Hat trick. I mean,
3: <laughs> I mean,
2: just a five, nil. uh, but you guys, you remember that Aaron Ramsey hat trick at Everton. They, when we five, nil. I think that was a first game. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a 5 0 I back uh, Saka and Martinelli both to score. I bags. I back Saka to score. I mean, not Sokka, Martinelli to score two. That's my wow. big thing. I think he's going to score two goals tomorrow.
3: I'd love to see it. And regardless, even if we put up five, regardless of who scores them, I think man of the match is still going to go to Martin Odegaard because he's the he's the engine that that gets everybody else going. And anytime those guys have good games, it's because the guy behind them's making he's it happen the for them
2: best player in the league
3: this season right now I'll say yes and I think the only the only name you could put in with him is Holland just because of the absurd goal scoring record but for me and the fact that he elevates everyone around him much more so than Holland does and we're at top of the league give me Martin Odegaard for Premier League player of the season if it ended right now
2: you know the thing about Holland is and I'm gonna say this kind of like straightforward we're giving Chelsea a lot of stick. Are spending so much goddamn money and they're not gonna be able to do anything with it. If City go and get Erling Holland, who got twenty-five goals in half a season and failed to win the league or champions league, I'm sorry, I'm gonna call it for what it is. That's a bottle job. That's a bottle job. I I don't know how you add Erling Holland to your team and then lose and not win everything. That's that's crazy to me. So Um, We got some questions coming in, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, there's a handful in there. I start them. If you want to dive in, we can just run through them real quick before we hit the top of the hour.
2: Yeah, go ahead. Pick one.
3: All right. We'll we'll just go top down. Our boy, our good buddy, Dan. What's up? Uh, He says, would you rather Arsenal win tomorrow, but Rashford blanks in both games this week, or Arsenal lose, but Rashford scores two hat tricks? So he sent this to me because Dan and I are in the same uh, Premier League Fantasy League and he may have already looked. I did triple captain Rashford this week. But FPL is not real life. Arsenal <laughs> is real life. So I don't care the result. Give me the Arsenal win and you can hate on me and talk about how terrible my team is if Rashford blanks. But I'll take the three points for Arsenal all day long.
2: Where are they playing this week?
3: Well, United and Fantasy has a double game week. They play uh, Leeds and West Ham, I believe. But both games are at Old Trafford, if I'm remembering correctly.
2: Yeah, that's that. A couple good win.
3: matchups for them.
2: I would love, I would love for them to drop points against one of those, but they're, they're going to win
3: both. Of them. It, it, I would guess they're going to win both of them. So I'll send this next one over to you. Joshua says, if we had to sell one of ESR or Kieran Tierney this summer, who would you choose?
2: Um, I think, unfortunately, this is going to be really straightforward. I think it's KT, and it's not because of him being bad or him not fitting us stylistically. It's actually just a straight money choice. I think you get far more money for Kieran Tierney than you get it for ESR. I think ESR stays a year, plays six months, and about triples his value. And I think that – so I couldn't justify selling him at what i think will be the lowest point of his value in his entire career we could have sold him six months ago and we could mm-hmm. sell him a year from now and get far more so i think it's got to be kt i think unfortunately the, the reality is he wants to go um i don't know what would, would you now it's if they, somebody offered say 65 million for kt but it's newcastle you take it
3: Uh oh, 65 million absolutely I think that's you more than we'll...
2: giving it to a giving it to a rival. Uh,
3: are they a rival yet? Us? I, maybe. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, you're <laughs> you're talking about the only team, the only other team. I think they've got one loss this year, two losses. That's mm-hmm. it.
3: Yeah, they they score a ton of draws because they're so solid yeah. defensively. But to me, they're already the best defense in the league, arguably. So, giving them a defender it's not gonna not gonna kill us if it's a number like that it was 65 million no question i send him anywhere who will pay it i don't care if it's i don't care if it's spurs if they give us 65 million he's yours because i think that's well over what he would bring realistically i think he's gonna bring us 40 maybe north of 40 which would be big but especially in regards to joshua's question i think just more than anything kt's the guy who's much more likely to get moved this summer so you know, it, it is what it is. I'm a huge fan of his, and I hate to see him go. But the guy wants to play football. Arsenal are going to want some incoming funds. I think it just makes sense that that's a, a likely one to go through.
2: Follow up the summer uh, in the summer. Keep Balligan, sell Balligan for 40 million, or loan Balligan in the prem for a season.
3: Um, if we're talking about what I think's most likely, I think we're going to sell Balligan, but I think it'll be a figure well north of 40, given the fact that. I mean, right now, this season, just so far in, in France, he scored more goals than Hyla Mudric scored in his entire career at Shakhtar. So I, I would put a stupid price tag on him and, and hope to start a bidding war. I think realistically, if he goes on to win the golden boot, which he's in the running for, he's currently the leader, I think you're going to get 50 million or more for him because there's going to be teams that need a striker. And if you've got a guy who's... Uh, you know a french golden boot winner it's hard to not pay 50 million for him i think
2: so here's an interesting question because this is the thing though is has premier league become a super league that has its own market where maybe if a premier league club wants him for north of 40 million we could get that but can we get other teams like could we get a barcelona could we get a real madrid juventus napoli uh, could Bayern, could we get these teams to pay that sort of value? Because we haven't seen those numbers anywhere else but inside of the Premier League. But bar, like again, a Neymar transfer right. to, to PSG, you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, and, and those are obviously an outlier when you take one of the top three or four players in the world. That's sort of, you look at that differently than you do the general market. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be limited. Selling them in the Premier League, we're much more likely to demand a higher fee but I think there are a couple spots. Uh, I think a PSG could potentially be interested in him. And I think the one that you mentioned in your list there was Napoli. I think if they move on Osimen and get a hundred million for him from somebody like Manchester United, who's in desperate need of a striker. I think we then know they have the funds and we've got a suitable replacement. I think that's the the target outside of the premier league that I would be going to and saying, you know, put a $75 million price tag on them. They're obviously going to come in lower than that, but maybe, uh, get a good bit for him and given that he's come through the and hasn't cost us anything to bring him onto the team that's a huge boon when you can bring in north of 50 million for a guy who didn't cost you anything so I, I like Baligan and if we integrate him into the squad next year as the third choice striker I won't be unhappy but if I had to put my money on it right now I think the most likely situation is that we see him up for sale this summer
2: yeah I definitely agree I'm going to take this and we're going to flip it a little. He goes, do you think that Arsenal and other clubs will go after more Chelsea players as there may be a fire sale in the summer? And I'm just going to change that into who would you take from Chelsea if you have the chance?
3: And I would have to look up their list. I mean, they've got, I think they have about 35 first team players right now. And I don't say that exaggerating. I think it's in that area. It's mid thirties. They've got such a huge list it's tough to figure who's a good player versus who's a good player for our system. Mm -hmm. One guy who I think is underappreciated by their fans is Kai Havertz because he's, he's their leading goal scorer with, I think five this league or five this year in league. So not a huge number, but he's a tremendously talented footballer that I think plays a little bit out of position there. They play him basically as a number nine. I'm not sure that's his best spot. So in terms of a talented footballer, I think he is one and I would take him. in in terms of who they're going to sell, it's going to be a big list because they've just got far too many players. And the problem they're going to run into is they paid pretty good fees for a lot of these guys. They're all on very high wages and it's going to be tough to offload them. So they may have a rough summer if they miss champions league, which right now, you know, they've got a lot of work to do if they want to get there. If they miss champions league and are having to try and sell all these guys on huge wages, they might have a little bit of a rough summer in terms of finance. So yeah havertz is a guy that sticks out but i'm not really big on paying them a lot of money for any of their players i don't think
2: i I wouldn't pay a lot of money this is just saying like players maybe i admire out of their club i don't i don't you know how i feel about doing deals with yeah i Mm say let them and let them suffer in their own (laughs) mess you know what i mean but and that's the thing is they are a mess i mean that's a they're a stinky club man like they smell it's disgusting. Like I like I'm all the way in in America and I can smell Chelsea from here. Like they have so many just stinky players. And I don't mean just like yeah, a, a lot of those players have talent, but they just have stinky attitudes, man. Like all of them. And I just don't know if I want that energy anywhere near Arsenal. Now, on um, talent-wise, Reece James?
3: Reece, yeah, I was just going to say he's he, he's the one. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you got to I wouldn't touch Conor Gallagher with a 10 foot pole. I'm sorry. Um Conte is past it for me. Mudrik, you made your bed. Um I'm maybe Ziyech. Maybe Ziyech. I I I might have a go at that. Um Yeah. Uh, Thiago Tiago Silva's too on the other end of it. He's probably the other player that I would look at, but I mean I don't yeah, really see a lot that I truly that interested in i i chelsea's just kind of a place where you your career goes to die
3: yeah i mean enzo fernandez is a talent but obviously he's not gonna of all the players they would sell he would not he's not going anywhere with what they paid for him and being so recent but in terms of talent he's he's a solid player that would fit in with most teams pretty well
2: he'll be in madrid in a year possible Um, (laughs) all right so uh other question here what will be the gap between Arsenal and city by the time they play their game in February?
3: So what is that we have? Do we have just Everton between now and city?
2: Uh, I was
3: going to say, I need to look at the schedule to be sure. Or no, we play Everton. Then we have Brentford. Yeah, we play Brentford Saturday, city Wednesday. So quick turnaround from Brentford.
2: And I got to look at what, who does city play? Do you think city are going to uh, win their game this week against, do you think Tottenham got them? Do you think we can, rely on spurs to actually do something <laughs> or they're gonna
3: be spurs it's hard too? to say spurs and rely in any real sense are the least <laughs> reliable bunch you'll ever come across but they've oddly the last two three four seasons somehow even when they're mediocre as they are they seem to be the team that along with Southampton that takes points off of city inexplicably at times during the year. So it's not impossible that they do it. They, uh, they'll be in a terrible run of form and then somehow just their style suits a game against city. Now, are they the favorites to do so? No, but if they can pull out a draw, I'd I'd be ecstatic because we could anytime city drops points is, is massive for Arsenal. So I'll take it if it comes.
2: Think about Tottenham is, like, are they clever? Because, like, it's really straightforward. I don't get why other teams – maybe it's because they have the the talent higher than most mid-table teams to be able to do this, but they're just going to let you pass the ball and play you on the counter. Mm-hmm. How you haven't figured this out, like, and thought about how you can counteract that, I, I don't get it. You know, Pep Guardiola, greatest manager of all time apparently, but he can't figure out how to beat a Tottenham. Um, that you know they haven't even scored a goal in their stadium. It's crazy, right? It's crazy,. Seriously? They missed two penalties in their stadium. it It doesn't make any sense. but so, hey, you know, I don't want to say as soon as you start relying on Spurs, they'll let mm-hmm. you down ask any of their fans. So, but I, I would love to see it. You know who else could take points off of them, though, is they've got to go to Aston Villa, and no team has gained more points besides Arsenal. And Unai Emery's Aston Villa since he was appointed.
3: They've been fantastic. They, they really have. And that's a kind of a dark horse to maybe take some points off. But the reality is between now and the end of the season, City and Arsenal are dropping points somewhere. And it's not right. always where you predict it's going to be. We see that every season when when City won the league a couple years ago. And I, I believe it was the year they had 100 points. Uh, I think they lost to Norwich that year when, when Liverpool was on their huge unbeaten run. Watford banged them like 3-0. And it was the year that Watford and Norwich City both got relegated when they got those wins so the Premier League's always got a couple surprises along the way and I'm sure this year is going to be no different so th- there'll definitely be some points dropped I don't really between, care who it's against if they drop any I'll take it
2: between now and now and that week uh I honestly think I- I'm just going to play safe and say that we keep it at five you know yeah hopefully like i do think we'll keep it at five it could get a little bigger i do see those as possibly two bogey games for for city but then as soon as i say that we'll go and lose to everton you know what i mean so it's just like you know you can't really predict anything to to that level and i don't want to start sounding arrogant or anything towards them saying that we're going to get some sort of big gap here's a good question like follow-up to that though If our lead is bigger, does that put more or less pressure on the arsenal for that game?
3: I I think it does put less because we know we've got a little bit of a safety net there. The, The tough one for me is, you know, I think we'll beat Everton. Then we have Brentford at home at home. I'm very confident we'll handle Brentford, but then it's city on Saturday and followed by the team. You just brought up Aston Villa on Wednesday, a really short turnaround to play a really tough game. So I think between those two, is maybe where you're going to see Arsenal potentially drop points at at some point there because that's a really tough two games to have in four days. Like you said, Villa's playing as well as anybody, so coming off of a game against City, off short rest against them could be a difficult one. But if if we win those two games leading into the City game, we know we're going to have at least a five-point lead. So it's as good a spot as you could hope for. Facts. Facts. It isn't arrogance.
2: It's just accurate self-assessment. It are 100% the
3: is I mean. yeah there's no doubt about it this season Arsenal has been there's a reason we're top we've been the best and we're deserving of it and we've looked better than City for the most part that doesn't <laughs> guarantee you anything but up to this point it's just the reality of the situation is we've been best and uh, and a clear best I think
2: all right well it's been an hour I think we've we've kind of covered the topic you want to call it a uh, wrap it up here
3: yeah. Let, let's wrap it up. I should give a shout out to everybody who's uh, joined today. We've had a pretty good group, uh, Olivier, Dan, Matt, Josh on down the line. We've had a bunch of people on earlier. So shout out to everybody. Ian that makes the show go along Dublin. I know I saw him in the chat earlier commenting. So thank you to everybody for tuning in. Like I said earlier, bottom of the screen, you can see the, uh, the banner going, there is going to be an upcoming show for, uh, a breakdown of Chelsea finances, which would be interesting. And we'll have a lot more shows along the way.
2: Yeah. And if you really like what we do again, please drop us a like Arsenal fans around the world come together, strong in voice. We will be playing again on this Saturday. I am. I almost played the Ben white, um, Three points thank you very much video but i don't want to i don't want to jinx it quite yet but hopefully we'll be getting to play that video coming up on monday when we have another show so until next time this has been the tgp podcast tgp out
0: watching the gooners podcast a production of tgp media a wholly-on subsidiary of Wanker Broadcasting Company, Limited PLC. All rights and likenesses, except for Owens, are available for purchase and distribution, according to the historical tenets of birth law. Make sure to check out the Gooners podcast at Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash TGP. Find Gooners v. Cancer at Goonersvcancer.com and don't forget, get them credit cards out. The Gooners Podcast has been brought to you thanks to a generous investment from Elon Musk, as well as the letter G and the number 69. Remember, Gooner family, that taught get better everywhere they go. TGP, out.
2: Vintage Arsenal. Vintage. TGP Podcast.
0: Once upon a time, way back when there were only 9,000 Arsenal podcasts, six young men from various backgrounds, a young basketball prodigy with more trophies in the last 20 years than Tottenham Hotspur, an Irish kid with a horrible haircut, a young Jewish nerd who hadn't discovered food yet. A child from Hemel Hempstead who didn't want to be English no more. A handsome young man who learned to play football on the hard streets of Disney World. And a young Mexican AC Milan fan. Hatched a plan to take over the world of Arsenal podcasts. But then these boys became men. Jared. Ewan. Magic, Aston, Andy, and Miguel. And the rest, my friends, is history. And now, all these years later, you tune in every so often to hear their incredible takes, their football knowledge, and their sensual advice. But now, it's gone too far. You are fans are at long last witness to season
1: seven 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 seven
0: welcome to the gooners pod
2: All right, everybody, welcome to the Gooners Pod. You'll notice it is micless today, uh, no pun intended. And that's just because we've got Mike Feinberg out on the streets of New Orleans for Gooner Gras. If you are in the area, or if you haven't heard about it, check it out. It's a ton of fun. Today, with me, though, I've got the return of the one, the only
3: Jared. What's up, buddy? Good to be back. It's It's been a while since you and me got a chance to get on and, and have a good Arsenal chat.
2: I know. I feel like Mike's magical tours because he's so like, you know, he, he's got photos everywhere. He's talking with everybody like you're able to do your vacation like low key, like because you actually had a crazy ass vacation, too. But it's just like, you know, you don't need to constantly bring it up all the time. <laughs>
3: yeah we had a we had a great trip we've been away from home for about two weeks uh, just got home last night had a fantastic time um you know luckily we were in for the uh arsenal manchester united game that ended up being you know probably one of the games of the season at least thus far and got to meet a bunch of uh bunch of people we've known online for some time finally that's the first time actually mike and i have met in person so i right, had a lot of really? fun owen came down and uh yeah it's been it's been great but nice to be home and trying to get back on a normal sleep schedule and, and all the rest of it well was that well, so you got to go to the united game right yeah 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 Yeah, How, we I, went uh myself my wife and owen uh the three of us sat together uh on the clock end i you to an answer for something real quick
2: Gooders podcast.
0: Has won the league.
2: One won the league. We won the league. you guys look toasty. So, what exactly did you mean by that?
3: Well, I've said, and, and you can back me up on this, since uh, the end of the first week of this Premier League season, I have put in all caps in our WhatsApp group: "We are winning the league without Ooh. fail after every single game." And I in it. And I think it's uh every week that goes by, I feel slightly more confident that it might actually happen. So we're trending in a good direction. And I expect at least ten percent credit for that result if it does come to fruition. I think you deserve I think you deserve more.
2: For those of you that don't know, like the reason why Arsenal are doing so well, I can verify. He put this we're winning this league thing in like months and months ago. Okay. He he's the magic sauce to Arsenal's little uh little shindig right now. Um, so since we've last talked though, we actually played a game this weekend if you did you get a chance to see the the city game?
3: Uh, I did. Uh, we were we were on holiday but uh, went to bed that night set my alarm for about 2am local time where we were at and got up and uh, watched that went back to sleep for another six hours and, and <laughs> called it a day. <laughs> he's,
2: he's like he I wake for one thing and one thing only and that's when the Arsenal play.
3: That, that was it yeah middle of the night but you know you're on holiday. You have no obligations the next day. I figured I could get up, watch it, and still sleep in and and be in good shape. So I did get to catch it all.
2: All right. Well, then you 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 probably you know how it went. This is how the game kind of panned out, stats wise. Arsenal versus City. Uh, they did they did knock us out of the FA Cup, our cup, by the way. Won it more times than any other team. That's why it's called the Emirates Cup, I heard. Um, but unfortunately, we're out of it.
3: How did you feel about the game? You know, let me start by saying you never want to lose a game. You know, what we're, we're going to kind of talk about is probably the silver linings that come along with it in this case. Obviously, we would have wanted to win. We put out a team that showed, I think, we wanted to get a result in it. But coming out of the game, it's hard to not feel, you know, pretty positive as an Arsenal fan, knowing that, you know, we've got two games left in the league against Manchester City. Those are some deciding games. We, we put ourselves in a position kind of where we don't necessarily have to beat them, they have to beat us. If we draw both games with them, you know, that's favorable to us. It just limits their chances to gain points on us. But when you watch the first half, we played a much more heavily rotated team than them. And we had them, you know, played them pretty even in the first half. I'd say arguably Arsenal looked maybe a little bit the better side. Nil-nil at half. You know, I had no complaints. Obviously, Thomas Partey coming off changed the game dramatically, which we all know as Arsenal fans how important he is and how much he changes things. So there was no real surprise there. But I think we went with an intent to get a result at the Etihad, and looked perfectly capable of doing that against uh, an extremely strong Manchester City team that rotated, you know, considerably less than we did. Obviously, I think that I think
2: that Mikel Arteta did a good job, kind of, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Needle thinning the needle, whatever whatever the phrase is. And I think that the and that has to do with like the two different kind of desires here. One, we're going for the Premier League title. Obviously, that means that our focus, our fitness, our everything, our eyes are on the league, which a lot of I saw a lot of fans saying, you know, they don't want Partey starting. They don't want any first-team players starting. Saka needs to not even be in the team. But on the other hand, you also realize that with the way that these last several seasons have gone with the beast that is Manchester city 90 plus points may not get us across the line we may we may even get a hundred points and come second in the league because of the the history of how Manchester city has been doing recently and how unfortunate would that be I remember I think it was like last year or the year before where I'm like Liverpool literally scored 90 points and won zero trophies that year and so us, the FA Cup it was a way for us to get a trophy. And so you had other fans saying, hey, listen, maybe we need to be making sure that we go all out for this. We go really strong. And I think Mikel Arteta put out a squad that whereas it was rotated, it did give a lot of different uh, faces, chances to, to play. It was still strong enough to maybe go out and win the game. And
3: we saw that on the pitch. Absolutely. And I think, as far as did we put a team out that was with the intent of trying to advance in the competition, I think unquestionably you saw Thomas Party in the lineup, you saw Makai Osaka in the lineup. If we weren't trying to advance in the competition, those guys would be rested. I think Mikhail made sort of a calculated number of subs to where he thought this is a team that can rotate a bit, but still go out and get the result we want at the Etihad. Now it didn't turn out that way. I think part of that is, you know, due to the Party injury that certainly didn't help Arsenal but they're also a very good team. So we gave it a good effort. We went out with the intent to win and advance in the competition, which I was happy with. I wasn't one of the people who wanted to just kind of let that one go. As you said, the, the FA Cup is the Arsenal Cup. It's one that we have to try and contend for every year. And I was happy that we put out a team, you know, with, with the idea in mind to do that. Now, it, it didn't work out, which, you know, as, as we've talked about, there's probably some things that work in our favor because of that scheduling down the line. But at the end of the day, we played a – played a pretty good team, played a good game and, you know, lost a close one to a a very talented Manchester City team. So I don't really have any major complaints with the way the game went down.
2: Yeah, I think I have it here, right? Here's the actual XG layout. You'll see there's not really that much in it between us. Um, it it, it was it, it was incredibly close. I think, oh, I think I cut off the XG. The XG ended up being like 0. 0.36 Arsenal, 0. 0.55 for City, which again, you know, that's a, a small moment of quality for them, uh, was able to seal the game. And they're absolutely a team that can do that. But there were some interesting battles that happened up and down the pitch. You know, we talk about the force change in Partey as a precaution. There was also a tactical change that we made up uh, Probably enforced because he had a yellow card. But mm-hmm. Rob Holding up against Erling
3: Holland didn't look too bad to me. I don't know what you thought. It, there was a couple moments in the first you know, 10 or 15 minutes where Holland was obviously really aggressive in trying to run past him and, and got the better of holding a couple of times. That holding grew into it a little bit as it went. And I'm with you. I think had he not gotten the yellow card, I don't think we would have seen a halftime substitution. I think he would have continued to stay in for at least the next 15 or 20 to see how it developed. And the disappointing part for me is I've seen a lot of hate for Rob Holding after, <laughs> after the game uh, because you know early on it did look like Holland got the better of him. But if the benchmark for whether or not you are a solid center half is does Erling Holland get the better of you at times, then there's not many good ones out there because he can do that to the best of, in the world because he's that good of a striker. So to have our fourth, arguably maybe fifth choice now center half play a competitive game with them where he gets beat a couple of times. You know, I think we're in pretty good shape and, and holding knows his role on this team probably as good as anyone possibly could. And he's an effective player in that role. I know people want him out in the summer or talk about moving him on all the time, but if you've got a guy who's happy playing the number of minutes he gets, that is his skill level and also the sort of dressing room presence that it sounds like he is. That's a guy for me that is a no brainer. You, you wish you could have more of on your team to be honest because most people that are anyone better than him isn't going to be happy playing the limited number of minutes he's getting. So I think he does a lot of good things for us that are tough to replicate if you were to try and move on from him. Listen, I, Holdings a
2: man of the people, and I think it's actually funny because I think um, I don't think he's given enough credit, one, especially in this game. You have to understand, I saw this happen in Orlando, Florida, they were targeting holding like the oh, whole yeah. city approach play was we need to target the space in behind holding and they specifically tried him over and over again. And I think what's interesting is in the beginning, Erling Holland was incredibly aggressive, as you say um was trying to get the better of him but if they by the end of it I swear to god they were you know arm in arm together laughing and smiling because like holding wasn't giving him an inch. like I think Holland actually recognized and respected the fact that he couldn't really get too much on him I mean the yellow card uh, given to holding I think was probably going to be the end of his thing we didn't want mm-hmm. him to get go on and get a red but the interesting part is honestly Holland could have had a yellow card the other way. It was six of one, half a dozen of the other in that situation. You know what I mean? And I, I and I can't help but see like how much like both of them really relished the challenge. And then obviously, you know, William Saliba came on, and that was pretty much the last they tried to ever
3: get a ball over the top again. <laughs> yeah, that that changed the game dramatically because you know, as hard as it is to stop Holland, if you were going to kind of design a player that has the physical tools to do so, it, it would probably be William Saliba. It, it just changes the game so dramatically when you have a player like him that has not only his size, strength, speed, skill level, and also just overall calmness at all times. I mean, he's as even keel of a player as you could ever find, which if that's a trait you want in a player, you would want him in a center half. So he he really is kind of a, coming together of everything you'd want in that position and and we're pretty pretty lucky to have him that's for sure (laughs) speaking of things that we're lucky
2: to have we're lucky to have all you fans out there i see you in the chat gunner works mark josh all of you guys uh make sure to give us a like if you like the show it's it's what we do here it's it's how we it's how we stay relevant there the only way for us to stay relevant is clickbait titles, and likes from you guys, okay? Otherwise, you know, we'll disappear into the Arsenal ether. So if you can help us out, please do. Um, I, You know, another interesting player I want to touch on while we're here is uh, Leandro Trussard played uh, a whole game, um, and we really, really got to see what we're going to get out of him, Um, what, what kind of player he is, what he likes to do. What did you think of our new signing?
3: I, I'm very happy with him. You know, like I said, we were there in person to see his – short stint at the end of the United game where he looked pretty bright. And then I was happy to see him get the start in the FA cup. You saw very early on sort of the technical quality, a couple of quick flicks, you know, very good footwork and gave them some problems. It was very evident that they, they kind of changed the way they were defending and had an extra man over there after about the first 15 or 20 minutes. So from that point on, he wasn't as dangerous or didn't look as involved, but I think that's very clearly because they were forced to make an adjustment because he was the danger player from the outset on the arsenal side. And when you're playing a team as good as them, if you're able to force them to adjust in a game early on, you know, you've got a decent player there. That's for sure.
2: You know, it's funny because he, I've never seen a player that so like exemplifies who he is both physically and as a player like all in one mm-hmm. because uh Leonardo Trussard let's face it he looks like an old version of uh, an old Ted Bundy from that Netflix <laughs> special we saw you know there. and on the pitch he plays with experience and he murders the defense so i mean eh, is it the same i don't know um but yeah he looked like a guy that just was comfortable Like he just looked like a guy that Mm -hmm. has been playing with us. And and it's interesting that we say that because it wasn't so long ago that Martinelli and Emile Smith-Rowe and even Saka didn't look quite as comfortable. I remember some of the first comments that I made on this show with you guys was I was happy with the progress, but I was noticing that they weren't telepathic yet. They were, Mm -hmm. they were a little timid. They weren't ready to take people on and that took some time. And now they're doing it now because it takes time to grow, but Trussard came in and did it day one. He, I, I think within the first 10 minutes, he had that mazy run up the left-hand side and broke a couple of players. And had it not been, uh, I, I think, I you know, half of it was his fault for it being a little too at the goalie, but it was also a great save. I think Ortega was on smoke yesterday or, or on Sunday whenever we played. Um, he would have had a goal today too. He would have had a goal there too. So, I mean, what – what a player, what a sign-in, plug and play. He looks like he looks the part. You know, I, I do understand the disappointment in not getting Mudrick, but I, I don't know. He's, he looks a great
3: player to me. He does, and it looks like he sort of took to our system like a duck to water. I mean, game one, like you said, there was no sort of easing himself in. He just looks like he belongs in the Arsenal squad. He's, you know, obviously he's 28, I think, so he's got a maturity to him. He understands the game, seems to understand spacing very well. As Joshua said here in the chat, he has some quick feet. He certainly does. He's he's very tricky on the ball, too. And I think as the season goes on, when he's in, we're going to see a few really good Arsenal goals come out of some flicks and back heels and some of the stuff that he has in his locker that it, not only see an effective player, but he'll be a fun, exciting player that I think all the fans are really going to come to like over the next couple of months. Tap dancing contest.
2: Are you taking Saka, Martinelli, or Tressard?
3: Ooh. I, I may take Martinelli. He just looks like a guy who could do a hell of a salsa. So he's probably, not, he may have the best little, feet of the bunch. Ooh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, so the, the big
2: question, I think that everybody's going to be thinking about on this game, uh, about this game that just passes, what does it tell us about what's coming up between us and City? Did we, did we get an idea of, of where we're at, how we're going to stack up? And are
3: you still afraid of City? So this is the nice thing, even coming off of a loss, we took a more rotated squad than they did to their house and and played them relatively evenly. I think if any Arsenal fans had a doubt about what our confidence level should be coming up against them in the league, you should feel pretty good because there's no question that we can not only compete with them, but be the better side, not just come out with a result, but come out with a result looking like the better team. As far as us being afraid of City, now, I respect what they've done the last handful of years. They have the league titles to back it up. But the nice thing about being an Arsenal fan right now this season, based on what we've seen, is forget City, forget the Premier League, forget just England. There's not a team in world football that I'm quote, afraid to go play. I'm not saying we beat everyone or we're not beatable. But there's nobody out there that plays at a level so much higher than ours that we should be afraid of them because the team's been that good. I, I think much more so it would be this year – you should ask city fans where we, we know the answer in the past was obviously not. But if you ask some of them now, are you afraid to go play at Arsenal? I think there's a lot of them who would, who would at least say that's going to be a tough one to come away with three points because Arsenal's as good as anybody this year. I mean, obviously the best in the Prem, and at home, we've been fantastic. So I think they know they're a little bit up against it in that. Like I said earlier, we don't have to beat them, but they're going to have to beat us at least once, probably if they want to, try and get the world or get the uh, league title off
2: of us. Listen, I'm going to say it how it is. And, and, and I'm just going to say what, what I know a lot of us are thinking, maybe not you at home who are, who's listening, but a lot of us are thinking city, you bought it all. And what did you buy? You didn't do Chelsea and just go and buy trophies. You bought Arsenal, you bought our way of football. When you came in with all your money, who did you try to emulate us? You tried to play like us. You bought our players. We know you. You're what we what we, we invented you. We're, we're the, Kim, uh, we're, we're the uh, little Kim to your Nicki Minaj, okay? Like, we're coming back in a big way. You're not ready for this. We invented the game. You just play it. And we're going to show you a thing or two on the pitch when, when it comes that time because you've never seen in your life, an Arsenal fan base that backs a team like this you were never around for Highbury days back in Highbury days you guys were in like League Three okay so like now that you're here now that you're seeing what this magic can do now that this sleeping giant has awoken again it's on okay it's not going to go all your own way anymore and take that and take that in your oil money blunt and smoke it all right (laughs) you know
3: it's time said there that I want to highlight because it couldn't be more spot on. When you talk about the Arsenal fan base and the voice we have, I think I tweeted it during the game. I'm laying there watching that game, and I said if you if you weren't able to see the game and were just listening to it, you'd be stunned if someone told you that game wasn't at the Emirates because all you could hear for the full 90 was the Arsenal chance going in the background. It, it sounded like it was a game at the Emirates. It really did. And that shows the dedication the fans have. Similarly, when United, when Rashford, who's And as good a form as anybody in world football, kind of against the run of play, scored on us to open that game, within 10 seconds of that goal going in, you just heard the Arsenal, 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 the chance took over. So this year, more than anything we've seen in recent memory, the fans are in good voice at all times. Whether we're doing the scoring or getting scored on, the place is just electric with Arsenal fans, and it's amazing and, and wonderful and refreshing to see, that's for sure. It's funny because the whole
2: world's trying to got to get used to it again because Arsenal has chest again. Matter of fact, this is mm-hmm. Jamie Carragher talking about Gary Neville. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, Adam. Arsenal fans are really getting too much on social media. Keep going, Adam. They're not getting up. Really. Yeah, yeah. We've got not just we've got not just other teams rattled. We have uh, we have pundits rattled we have X players rattled we the, the world isn't ready for us to win the league and I'm saying this you like you're going to notice this right now I'm calling it right now you see it everywhere you, you know at first it was cute when we were on top of the league you saw like you know Liverpool fans oh I hope Arsenal does well United fans oh Arsenal's doing great you know they, they because they didn't like City but now that they have to mm-hmm. really contend with the idea of us winning after the Decade of banter that they gave us. They're not ready. They're not ready because they've been sitting tight, making their little jokes, saying their little things. United, you haven't won a trophy in a good minute. All right. You better win this League Cup because if we win the league and you don't win shit this year, it's over. It's over. We've got them so upset that Pep's fighting his players in training. Did you
3: hear about the Cancelo bust up? It's it's crazy. And I know we're going to talk our transfer window here in a little bit. But the one thing you can say, the team that we're competing against for the title right now is Man City, and it's hard to say they didn't weaken themselves in January because people who follow me on Twitter or have listened to the pod for a while know I'm as big a lover as Joao Cancelo as anybody in the world. I think the guy's easily one of the best football fullbacks in the world, and I think he's also just one of the technically best overall players. I'm a huge fan, so to let him go and not really replace him when his deputy – Deputy players, a, a relatively young, unproven player. There's no question they've weakened. And them weakening is Arsenal strengthening. When it's a two-horse race, which I would, after our win over United, I would say it already is, I think their January window is going to be as impactful as ours and that not only did they not improve, but I think they've they've come back a little bit from where they've been. So all, all good stuff for us, and, and they're going to be a little up against it if they lose a game or two uh, in the next month. You know what I have to say to that? Absolutely. <laughs> oh man, I need
2: that pep clip. I'll, I'll have it ready for the next show. So that actually brings us to another point. Like we're about halfway through the season. It's time to kind of do some evaluation. We have the transfer window that just shut closed. We're going to talk about that in the moment. But I do want to talk while we have the time about a couple of our loan signings that have gone out and that have really, really impressed. The uh, the first one I actually want to bring up here. Is and I know a lot of people will forget about him, but Nuno Tavares has actually been doing quite well over in Marseille. I actually think it's kind of funny when you look at Marseille's top scorers, you see a you see a pattern. I don't know if you <laughs> notice it. You're welcome, Marseille. We call you Arsenal B. That's fine, you know. But um the, the thing that really sticks out for me is not only is Nuno Tavares scoring goals, but He's up there with the top dribblers in the world right now. And you'll notice that on this list, you'll see um, he's above Sokka. He's above Martinelli. Like, it's insane the company that he's keeping right now. And in on this form, like, you know, yes, last year we were like, it's curtains for you. You'll never wear the shirt again. Uh, I You were hearing that from the fan base, not me personally. I thought he was young. But – is he making an argument to come back into this squad and really show us what he's got? I
3: think in terms of his skill level, he would be one that could, is of a level he could add something. I don't think it's going to happen that way just because if, if I've ever seen one, he's a guy who's going to play best in a wing back position and it's just not a system we play. So I think it's more of a, a fit more so than it is a, a level of the player. I think he's plenty good enough. But I think he needs to be in a team where he's going to consistently play in a wingback role because it just, as you showed there in that statistics, it, it highlights what he does best. And it takes him away from having to defend as much, which isn't his strongest point. It's not what makes him an effective player. The plus side of this for me is, and again, this is just my opinion. Maybe some people think he'll come back and, and have an impact for Arsenal. I think what he is doing is exactly what we want when a player goes out on loan. We send them to a system that fits their skill set that kind of highlights all the good in them and is going to raise their value and hopefully bring us a a decent transfer fee over the summer, which, which he should do. Uh, The only other note I would make uh, as far as Marseille, they play a system that's going to highlight the skills of a wingback. There's a reason that you see him on that list and also sad Kalazanak. Now, Tavares (laughs) is a solid player Kalazadak, you know he—he's not one that I would ever accept coming back. So the fact that he's on that list too shows you that they play a system that's that's pretty suitable for that position. So I think it was a brilliant choice of a, of a place to send Nuno. He's obviously developed and doing well, and I'm anticipating a sale of him this summer. But it, it's one that we're going to make a, a good turnaround on because I think we got him for seven and a half, eight million when we brought him in, and he's going to at least tripled in value the way the market is an pulled, but uh, I think he's going to end up being a, a positive for Arsenal in a whole, even if we do end up selling him. All right, I'm going to fuck you up
2: with this one. If you got an offer for $40 million for Tierney and an offer for $20 minute million for Tavares, which one are you taking?
3: Uh, if I'm Edu, I'm taking both. <laughs> but I would say of, <laughs> oh, the two, of the two, I think the most likely, if we sell Tierney for $40 million, that's a pretty good profit we're making on a player that's done well for us and the positive of that then is with Tavares I think you could get north of 20 million for him so I would probably still look to sell both but I would for sure take 40 million for Tierney um 20 million for Tavares I feel we're more likely to get more for him than that than we are to get more than 40 million for Tierney so that's why I would lean that way although the way the January market went we may be able to exceed that on both players because Seems like everybody's lost their minds with what they're paying on players.
2: Yeah, you're right. I should have
3: said if we get 70
2: million for Tierney and like Torres, <laughs> and then hey, hey, he's Bo- not a Brighton player. Slow down. And then, and then slowly, and slowly but surely, like like Todd Bowley puts up like Wisconsin or something. I don't know. It <laughs> make it make it make sense. Um, another another player that's really uh, shining through and becoming a local hero is our one and only wonder kid, Charlie Bettino. Mm -hmm. Now... One of the things I really want to highlight is we're often talking about the fact that we want a new midfielder, that we need a new midfielder, that, you know, that's a that's a place that we lack a lot of depth. Are we forgetting about this guy coming through? Because not only is he, you know, putting up the stats as far as goals and assists are concerned, but if you check in there, he actually had as like 136 ball recoveries, like the highest in the league. Uh, it, 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 in that league. So he's actually a very tidy player. He actually recovers and and keeps possession very well. Is this, are, are we maybe a little too worried about our lack of depth in midfield?
3: I, I wouldn't say we're too worried because of the areas, you know, front to back. I think it's the, the one that requires the most um, strengthening from what we have. We've got a lot of attackers. We've built a very solid defense. So I think a, a midfield addition is what we're going to need he he's been very good. I don't think he's to the point yet where, you know, we're talking next season, he's coming in and starting a significant number of games, but I think he will be in the first team setup next season. And and I'm fine with that. Especially if we bring in a very high value midfielder this summer, we're still going to have Xhaka. We're still going to have party. And now we're going to add, say, just for argument's sake, say we add a Declan Rice or a, or a Kayseda. One of those two is obviously going to be targeted by Arsenal, maybe both. I think they've got plenty of money to spend if they wanted both and you want to kind of permanently replace both Jacca and Party. That's a pretty good plan for the future. But even if it's, say, just Declan Rice, I think that's a, a good midfield. And if you have Patino to kind of supplement that, there's going to be a lot of games to play next year. So he's going to get minutes. And it sort of sets you up in the future because while I, I don't feel like late 2023, he's going to be ready to play first team football regularly in the Premier League. I do like the idea of a year or two from now having both he and Declan Rice in there. I think that's a a pretty good combination of players. If, if Patino continues to develop the way we all think he will and hope he will, you know, we could have a, a strong English center at the Arsenal team that I think a lot of fans would really enjoy and, and would also be very, very effective because they're very talented players.
2: Yeah. I, I think this is one where it's like, uh, our fans and, and, Boy, do I love our fans being on side for this one, but I don't want to give it too, too much hype quite yet. If he was a wonder kid, remember Arteta had no problem playing Sokka and Martinelli as teenagers, right? So I I think that there, I think maybe the expectation is that he's at a level that he's not quite at. Like you said, first team reserves. Absolutely. Way too advanced for the, you know, the under 23s or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, way too advanced for that. But yeah, could we see him starting uh, champion? Well, you know, the group stages of Champions League when we're still playing the Randos? Absolutely. Or or even maybe like, you know, try him out against a Southampton or, a, or Norwich or maybe not a top team. I, I, I think there's definitely some game time in there. Would you be opposed to him getting a Premier League loan next season?
3: that's an interesting one. I could see that maybe being a possibility depending on how much business we do in the summer. Mm. You know, I think he's going to be maybe a fourth choice midfielder, probably if we do the appropriate business for a team that's arguably, or potentially just won the league, he should probably be more like a fifth choice midfielder. Um, If, if we have him as a fifth choice, excuse me, I would rather keep him at arsenal just to be integrated with the squad, get used to our style of play and, and all of that. If, if Arteta doesn't think he's ready to be our fifth choice midfielder, which that's really the only question, I could see a Premier League loan to a bottom half team being a, a good place for him potentially. I think it's more likely he'll stay with us. But until we see what the end of our summer business looks like, I think at this point, kind of everything's on the table in an option. And I think if you ask Edu today, he would tell you the same thing that depending on how much of what he wants to do in the summer can get done is going to have a pretty big impact on what we see with Charlie next year. Yeah, absolutely. I I think I agree with all those points. I just, I you
2: know, I feel like Arteta gets a lot of credit, and as he should. He's doing absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful things. But I think that right now we really need to highlight, like, Murder Sacker does not miss, okay? Mert has been on smoke. Look at these kids. Like, we've got we've got uh, Eddie, Sokka, ESR, and of course, the guy, that the man of
3: the moment, Flo Baligan. Check these stats out. Yeah, it's a pretty impressive group that we've had come through, Hailand, and, and we're pretty fortunate in that regard because anytime you've got a player come through that costs you zeroed, zero in transfer fee that you can sell for a, a pretty large figure, that's such a boon for any team, especially with financial fair play and just the funds coming back in to sort of reinvest in the squad. And we, boy, have we done it the last handful of years. I mean, that's four or five players right there that you could sell for a huge amount of money if you were looking to sell them all, which which of course we are not. Before anyone thinks I'm advocating we're selling Bakayo Saka, he's obviously going nowhere. But to have that type of player come through for nothing that you can sell on for huge dollars is just invaluable to a team, especially a team like Arsenal that isn't necessarily, you know, funded by a nation state or oil money. So (laughs) we spend a lot, but it is still within sort of a limit. So players like that are are a huge boon when they come across to us.
2: Yeah, and I just got to give a huge amount of credit because it's not just that, um, you know, we're not just getting lucky. Over and over again, you're seeing choices being made in the development uh, structure for these different uh, uh, talents that are coming through that work out. I mean, obviously, William Saliba is is the one that we always talk about. Why did he get sent away? Because they're really checking on his mental. And when he was ready, he was ready. Look, he's coming on a man on fire. I remember when Martinelli wasn't getting a start and everybody was screaming, why isn't he starting Martinelli? And then as soon as he started Martinelli, Martinelli started like, on form, on fire. And I think that we really need to give a lot of credit to our development system because Flo started off as just a little trickle, but now he's like a tsunami coming through. Like, I mean, Balogun has been, can you believe this? Like, this is a real stat. This is happening this year, right now. Flo Balogun has more goals in uh, in Liga than Mbappe. What What world am
3: I living in? It's pretty impressive. And he does it in a relatively mediocre team, which arguably makes it even more impressive. But he's going to be such a big one for Arsenal in terms of this summer. It'll be an interesting argument. Maybe we should start it off here. I'll I'll ask you the question and see what you think. (laughs) And we can kind of go from here. Do you anticipate this summer? What is more likely? Balogun's playing for us at the end of summer or we sell him for a pretty big uh, fee during the window?
2: you know it's, that's a really hard that's a really hard one because um i am i'm, I'm going to say this i watched flo i've watched a lot i've i've rewatched all his goals i watched his overall play and without trying to get people too hyped up there's some upside and downside i think he actually reminds me of holland for the good reasons and the bad reasons right i notice he's not super involved in build up play whatsoever does not a guy that that links players in. Not a guy that that does anything like really too far outside of the box. He doesn't do. He doesn't have a great hold up play. There's not really a lot of through balls or creativity. But what he does have is that weird knack that Holland has, where if you put a ball into the box, he will figure it the fuck out. Like this guy. This guy's got more. Like uh, he, he's got more sleuthing skills than Scooby-Doo trying to figure out where the goal is because I've seen him like almost laying horizontally score a goal and it doesn't make sense so in that in that note he might be a freak you know he might be a freak and Arsenal could use more freaks and so that's why I never want to pass on something like that because the worst thing I could ever see is like him in a Chelsea jersey right because that's who would want to buy him like a Chelsea um, we might be able to get them off into like Italy. I know there are a couple of teams that need strikers out there, but we're really looking at like selling it to Premier league rivals. And I don't think I want them to play for anybody else in the league. I'd hate to come up against them for sure.
3: Yeah. I definitely wouldn't sell them to Chelsea or a team that, you know, is potentially in the future competing with us right now. They're not competing with us. They're, you know, doing their darndest to try and qualify for the conference league next season, I, I, did, I did think it was interesting on that list of all the top goal scorers. The guy right next to Flo on that list is Victor Osimhen, who mm. I think if we were going to sell him, that's a good target for him to go next season. I think it's very likely Osimhen moves on from Napoli, mm. so they're going to have a hole right there. And I think that would be a, a pretty good fit for him in terms of style of play. And if your Arsenal right now, you know, it, they're both Balogun's younger. We haven't seen him play in the Arsenal team. He's playing on a mediocre side. But if you just looked at the statistics, I'm not sure that getting rid of Eddie to keep flow is a slam dunk, something you have to do. They're both making a pretty good case for themselves, and Eddie's doing it in the Premier League against top competition. You know, all the games we played against good teams this year, he's found the back of the net. We're coming off his last performance was a 90th minute winner over Manchester United in league. So it it would be tough to move him on. And if you're not going to move Eddie, which I don't think is likely, I think this this summer, we may see Balogun on the market, and in a time where people are paying absorbent fees for you know young, relatively unproven attackers, if you're Arsenal and you can say, we've got a 21-year-old in boot in the French League, you could fee for him. And that would be one, like I said before, if you've got a player you brought up and really not paid anything for in a transfer, and you can turn around and demand, I would imagine they would demand $50 million. Right now for somebody like Balligan, it's hard to turn that down when you've already got two established strikers on your team that may have just won the Premier League title. It's tough to demand change there. So you got to strike while the iron's hot and taking the money for him might not be a terrible thing this summer.
2: You know what? We're going to get into values a little later. I'm going to play a little. uh, We're going to we're going to do a name your value for your player. Uh, um, and we'll go through the team and I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about what numbers you'd be looking at for Balogun. but with that being said those are the those are the loans but we did a lot of transfer business as well right like I I I know everybody's everybody wants to hear it so let's just get it the fuck out the way Jorginho signed for Arsenal this was amid a lot of controversy between fans. This is what, this is another one of the vanger out, vanger in moments, I would say, that that has really <laughs> kind of split the fan base. And it's funny watching the two sides, like how different their views of this transfer is. Like some people are literally like, this is a Chelsea reject shoot me now this is going to be the end of Arsenal bye-bye title the other others are saying this is the perfect uh, this is the perfect player he's a Ballon d'Or he's a Ballandor nominee he's going to absolutely revolutionize the way that Arsenal play like it is it is about as polarized as
3: you can get how are you feeling about this guy Jorginho you're right. It is super polarizing. It's polarized the Arsenal community online. And it may polarize this podcast because I think you and I, you and I may uh, may differ on our views of this deal. I actually am perfectly fine with the Jorginho signing. I don't have any issue with it. And I look at it from a very sort of baseline of at the end of the summer or summer window, end of January, Man City, I think, got a little bit worse. And it's hard to say that Arsenal didn't get a little bit better and that includes Jorginho. He's he's a considerably better player than El Nini or Samby, the players that would have potentially been in that spot. I know Mo is hurt now, so it doesn't really matter, but he's a significant upgrade on either of those players. So we're a team that's already five points clear with the game in hand, and we've improved. It's hard for me to criticize that too harshly, even though I know it's not the player that a lot of people wanted. We all wanted to see another you know, high-value signing come in, but – I like the Jorginho signing. I think it makes sense for a number of reasons that we can go into, but I'll leave it right there for now so you can give your thoughts on uh on him coming in.
2: Uh yeah. I I think that unfortunately for me, the the problem is with all the controversy surrounding him. There's a lot of downside. Uh there's a lot of downside from it from an image from a, from a uh how it looks standpoint to the point where it makes it so that there's an unfair level of expectation that I think that the player is going to have to meet in order to offset that downside. Right. Like I think that if you had, for example, gotten like Bamba, for example, Bamba could have come in and performed at a level that like was, you know, mediocre at best and fans would have been okay with it but if if Jorginho comes in and he's just mediocre, I think that a lot of fans are going to get on the on the um on the club's back because why didn't you just sign Bamba? Why didn't you just sign any other midfielder at that price cuz you can't tell me there's not a midfielder that's available between the price range of 12 million and 70 million out there, right? Like the, the, I I could go to transfer market right now mm-hmm. and I'm sure I could find a list of thousands of of different uh, players. And that's the thing here, right? I, I think personally for me, when I look at the eye test and I also look at his underlying stats and look at the systems that he's played in, I don't think that Jorginho will contribute in a level that's any better than El Nini or, or Samuel And I'm not saying that's not because he's not a, he's not a better player. He's definitely a better passer of the ball, but I think that in general, I don't see him like, upping a threshold where i go he's going to be the difference in in the performance level at at at, uh, at arsenal it's like it's like how do you say this right when you have two players that are pretty equal right like maybe one player is technically better than the other but when you switch them out in the team the whole team doesn't perform differently you know and that's where i'm at with with Jorginho's. i don't i think that it, i think that especially because of he he usually needs a destroyer next to him he actually plays the his best play is when he has somebody that's incredibly physical that wins the ball, uh, wins the ball, kind of like a Coughlin type, like a Cocksorla situation. And I don't know if we that we accommodate him at the, at that level, we if
3: we have that setup for him.
2: So, I'm I'm not too I'm not too impressed for, with it, to be honest.
3: Yeah, see, I, I think he actually fits us pretty well. I think if granted Xhaka, let's say, I mean, we obviously are bringing him in in case Xhaka or Party gets hurt. We're not talking about a guy who's going to come in and and slot into the starting 11 at any point, you know, other than rotational purposes. So if Xhaka gets hurt, I think Jorginho is actually a a very similar player, really. I think a lot of the things Xhaka does well, Jorginho also does well. I think the interesting piece would be if Thomas Party gets hurt, you know, how do we work with those two together in midfield when, in general, they both kind of have the same weakness. The, the lateral quickness is not something that either of those guys possess. But Jorginho does have an outstanding ability to read the game. And the reason I think that Arteta has been a long-term admirer of him is because what his strengths are are the things that Michel Arteta likes in players. He likes guys who create a lot of interceptions, you know, because that goes against the run of play and gets you out on the break. He likes guys who create interceptions and guys that are good progressive passers. And if you had to pick out two things Jorginho does really well, I I think that would be, you know, maybe the top two on the list outside of maybe taking penalties. So I I think it's just a player that slots into stylistically what he wants players to do. It's not to say that he doesn't have weaknesses in his game. He does. But what he lacks in lateral quickness, I think he makes up for to some degree in his ability to read the game, which is why he gets so many interceptions. He's able to understand what's about to happen a little bit quicker than other players. So, he kind of, with that anticipation, gets moving a little quicker than some other guys might, who are obviously faster than him. And he's also got the leadership. He just played on a team that won the Champions League. And I think there's a locker room aspect to it. You've got a, the youngest team in the league, as Arsenal seemingly always does, but you've got a mature player who understands how to win and is a good player to have in the dressing room with those young players. And, and I think we've sort of seen that with Zinchenko and Jesus, the impact they have coming from a Serial winning side, there's a value that is hard to sort of place a, a number on to having players that understand how to win and how to win under pressure, because right now there's a long way to go in the season. There's no real pressure yet on the players. I know we're top of the league and there's always pressure to get three points, but Come the end of this month, the end of March, you get into April. That's when the actual pressure comes in. And I think that's where you see veteran players like that have hopefully a very positive impact in that they've all been there before and had to handle it in teams that have successfully done so. So that's my hope is that he'll have an additional impact, not just what we see on the pitch.
2: It's just it's the Chelsea thing, man. Like David Luiz came with that same pedigree. Uh, Chet came with that same pedigree. Willian for sure came with that same pedigree, actually off of actually pretty good season for Chelsea, too. Mm -hmm. And it's just and I think that's where that's where I go. That's where I say, like, you know, you are putting the uh, fan base through a lot of PTSD, because we've tried this several times before. And I understand that different times, different times, different situations and different contexts may happen. But you do have to understand people are going to immediately relive that trauma. That that same, I mean, like William God, those were those are just some <laughs> bad deals. Those were just some yeah. really bad deals. And the same statements were made about those players. Now, as far as like, I, I know a lot of people like to focus in on this interception thing that he's got going, which is a bit like Mikel, Ar- the, the, the thing is, you got to remember, Arteta was a high interception player, and you wouldn't really put him as a big pace and power type player that was making a lot of turnovers. It was more the results of the system. And you'll notice this year in in his sample size, especially without Conte, you'll notice those interceptions drop off. Like those those defensive stats that that he gets lauded for really drop off when he doesn't have a high aggressive player. Now, could we replicate that? Maybe, maybe uh, at Jaka, not so much. Xhaka and Pardé, for all their good work, the thing that they're actually probably the weakest at, and you people are going to probably be shocked to hear this is pre- pressing. They actually, they're pressing uh, per game is. Bang average, it's usually about 15, 16 pressures per game. When you look at the star pressers in the world, um, when you're talking about, like, say, um, um, Jude Bellingham, right? Jude Bellingham's at, like, 21, 22. Kamivanga, 21, 22. Like, that's that's the high end of it. That's actually, our, our midfielders are actually very low impact for that. So I, I do wonder about a little bit about legs. That's That's my biggest worry. But I think, like, overall, listen, at the end of the day, if we go and we win the league, nobody's going to care. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody's going to care. And, and the biggest deal is, too, if, if all of this is shut up the first minute he uh, straps on an Arsenal shirt and he plays well, it's just
3: unfortunate that the bar is going to be a little higher for him. You know what I mean? Yeah, the bar is certainly going to be higher than Al Neni or La because he's coming from a bigger team um, than yeah, the bad certainly use, did. Yeah, and, and like you said – Fans, and Arsenal fans especially, are extraordinarily uh, reactionary to everything. And I can understand the not wanting to deal with Chelsea. That's that's the only thing. If I had to pick up something about this deal I didn't like, that's the obvious thing: is that you're giving money to Chelsea, and we don't ever yeah. want to do that. But the the thing, I say I don't like it, but the reality is, does it make any difference for Chelsea? Not really. <laughs> I mean, they're obviously not short on money in terms of financial fair play. They've got a number of players they can sell to. You know, kind of make those requirements. So that's what kind of takes me off of caring too much about that is because they're not hurting for money. And if you're curious, quick plug here, Mike is in the works on uh, working on a Magic Mike shows you the money episode specifically on Chelsea and how they qualify and how it works for financial fair play. So keep an eye out for that. I'm not sure exactly when that's going to come out. I know he's down at GoonerGraw this week, but we are going to have a pretty detailed breakdown coming up on the channel of Chelsea's finances and what that looks like for the coming years for them as well
2: yeah and we kind of cover the uh you know we we covered this guy and and we've kind of covered this guy so you know I I I will jump ahead a little bit because I think that you know we we know we know how we feel about both of those signings I think everybody's like you know that's just average I, I don't think anybody feels like oh these are the greatest signings ever but I don't think anybody's unhappy with these two as a matter of fact, I'm actually quite happy with them, especially okay. the news is that uh, Kuar broke
3: like four records in training this week. Um, here we I are. Saw that, I saw that floating around social media. I'm not sure the origin of that. So I, whether that's true or not, I have it, no idea. It very well may be, but I'm just not sure where that came from, and I haven't heard the club say anything about it. So maybe we'll get some confirmation of that soon.
2: Yeah, like, exactly. It, it, is, it true, is what it is. Impressive. Yeah, like, if it's true, you know, we'll take it. If not, like, you know, that's a good little piece of – that's a good little um, soundbite that you guys put out there to get people behind the player. But what (laughs) I did want to kind of skip to is, like, let's talk about this transfer window overall because you kind of hinted at it. This is what we got going on now. And this is one of the reasons I don't like dealing with Chelsea either. And I know that the amount of money that we give them is insignificant to that. But it's just like, you know, I I, I say this and – Plug for my other stuff. Sorry if you guys didn't know this, but I do a political show too. And I say this, like, you know, if if I could have white supremacists like not buy stuff from me, I I would choose not to. And it's kind of the same thing with Chelsea, where it's like, if I could have like evil people, if I could avoid doing business with evil people, I'm just going to be more okay with it because what I think that they're doing to the market is actually very antithetical to the game of football, and is probably yes. Has football been a money ball game for some time now? Absolutely. But I don't think that you can look at this and not say, okay, this is a little drastic. This is a little intense. The reason why, why Kaiseido was even, why Brighton were able to turn down 75 million for Kaiseido is because of this.
3: Yeah, I think that's, I mean, there's no question that they're spending at a rate unlike anything we've ever seen and it's certainly not good for the game. It's not good for other teams. It's not good for the overall market in terms of what players are selling for and what teams are demanding for relatively unproven players. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at Kai Sato, he's played in the premier league for a very short time. He's probably played about 20 games and we're talking about 70 million. Now he's a very talented player and he, and he looks like one that may end up being worth that who knows, but, it used to be you had to establish yourself and have a track record of good performances to get a high transfer fee or at least be kind of widely accepted as one of the prodigies that's going to be one of the greats now it seems like if you've got a good physical profile you, you play a dozen good games there's sort of no limit to what people will demand and when you have one or two teams out there that'll pay it when you look at a 100 million for anthony or 120 million for enzo fernandez demanding 70 million for caicedo it just completely throws off the market for every team that aren't those big teams that can afford to pay that. And it just creates kind of an awkward situation when other teams are trying to set a valuation on a player because the bar has been set at such a ridiculous, ludicrous level more than once that it makes it very difficult for the market to kind of recover and come back to what's a realistic demand for most of these players. I think.
2: Yeah. And and, and that's the thing, right? Like it, it, it's funny because you know, we always talk about transfers, like high-value transfers not working out. And I and I always counter that with, would you look at where the high-value transfers are coming from? Because it's Chelsea and it's United, and it's been that way for the last decade. I mean, we all make fun of City, and don't get me wrong, City have spent. They, they absolutely have. But if you look at the top 10 um, most expensive transfers in the Premier League, it's eight of them are Chelsea and United. Like it's it's mm-hmm. disgusting, and how many of and when you look at it, Lukaku, McGuire, um, Anthony, these are players that they're not really working out for them. You know what I mean? Like over and over again, but they're able to just absorb these losses and just keep uh, keep it moving, which ends up inflating the market and ends up making a mudrick closer to hundred mil and makes Caicedo uh, over 75 million and Brighton be able to bat an eye and just, you know, wave it off. And, and it's, it's crazy to me that, uh, you know, I, and I'm just going to say, if Chelsea don't make top four this season, dead, like yeah. I do not want to hear anybody talk about anything else besides spending half over half a billion dollars and not making top four. Like,
3: that will be the biggest bottle job. Years. Period, you know? It, it, it's crazy. I don't think they will make top four. I mean, I, I kind of make the joke. Todd Bowley said we should have an all-star game. And when everybody laughed at him, he just said, fine, I'll just create my own all-star team and just pluck talent from every which direction. And it's not very often in sports you take a dozen really good players from other places, throw them together, and they play as a team right away. I think it's going to be a little bit of growing pains here and there. And they may have some good results just because they do have a ridiculous depth of talent. They have they go three or four deep in every position of very good players that people would be lucky to have. But I think the key point you made that I think is is spot on there is the reason they can do it is because they have the financial backing to swing and miss. Like you said, and I don't think we have the graphic. If you look up the list of the top 10 Premier League transfers ever, and went back and said, was that worth it? I think for sure, one, in Van Dyke, there might be a second on the list. Arguably, you would say yes, but the vast majority of those high-dollar deals when you're talking about record signings have not really gone to plan for the teams that took them, and they're ones that I, I think even if you ask fans of those teams, if you could go back and do or not do that deal, I think there's a lot of them there where they would say, we would pass and use that money somewhere else. So that's the thing that I think is a saving grace for most of us is that most times those deals don't work out, especially now with the trend, like we said, of doing it on relatively unproven players. You, you look at someone like Enzo Fernandez, I think he was just purchased last summer for maybe 20 million. Six months later, you're selling him for 120 million. I'm actually a fan of Enzo Fernandez. I think he's a very good player. Is he worth a hundred million or more? There's no chance. He's not even near that level. He's, he's a 50 plus, maybe 60 million. If somebody paid 60 for them, I'd say that was appropriate. 120, you're just blowing the market out. And the problem you're going to see in coming years is if Chelsea misses Champions League or misses Champions League two years in a row, you've got a lot of players on huge money, on huge contracts, that the sell-on value may not be there the way they think it's going to be there. So it's going to be very interesting to see how things play out over the summer. If they miss Champions League, they don't have that money, don't have the draw that goes with that, and are still trying to make more summer moves, which – Undoubtedly, Todd Bowley will be looking to make more summer moves. I don't think he's got any thought in his mind of curbing his spending in any real way. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out over time. And if they don't play to what those players potential is, they could find themselves in in kind of a tough spot and trying to offload them and, and stay within the guidelines that are set out currently.
2: Jared, I love podcasting with you and, and and this is why we have a perfect in sync energy. If people didn't <laughs> know what was going on, was Jared was perfectly stalling, perfectly stalling <laughs> for me to get this ready because it's what he asked for.
3: Yeah. Bam,
2: there you go. Top 10 transfers and if you look at like which ones actually made it, I would argue about most of these were disastrous and the ones that are disastrous all come from two teams. The mm-hmm. other entries, the Van Dyke entry, you have Grealish in there. I think the jury's a little out on Grealish. Did he have an instant impact that you would expect from a $100 million player? Uh, probably not. But the way that City integrate players into teams, like they kind of always bed th- take some time to bet in. And mm-hmm. I do think Grealish has been one of City's best players since the World Cup, like bar none. Like he's been on fire and then van dyke obviously like ended up being the reason why liverpool would go on to win the league so if you Mm -hmm. excuse those two out it is literally just united and chelsea and look at these like obviously you know fernandez jury's out lukaku flop pogba terrible antony fidget spinning on the pitch still Maguire, giant forehead sancho can't even has to train alone right now lukaku again because he was so crap that they made him come around twice like i imagine imagine tricking two teams into thinking that, that you're worth that kind of money and then we've got fofano who has he even played for chelsea yet i mean and 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 that begins to like unravel like what has been going on in this league for the last decade and who's been causing the problems.
3: Yeah, and like you said, there's not many on that list you would want to repeat. Van Dyke, the obvious one. They've won a league, they've won a Champions League. That speaks for itself. Everyone else, you know, relatively not great or terrible. Grealish, I agree with you. He's he's very talented. He's a really good player. The problem with going to a team like Manchester City is they've got an entire front line of world-class players, you know, and the time he's been there, you look at, you're playing with Mares, De Bruyne, Holland, Phil Foden. So regardless of how good you are, it's hard to stand out in, in a group with those names, but he, he's been really, really good. And, and one that I think over time, you've seen him kind of take over that left wing role and he'll probably continue to do it for quite a while because he is mm-hmm. that good, but the rest of them aren't great. Enzo Fernandez. I mean, i'll I'll be fine saying it, and like I said, coming from someone who likes him, he's never going to reach a point where I would say I would pay a hundred million dollars for him. That's how I feel about it, and I like him very much as a player, but that's a hundred million. you better be world class of world class you're one of the elites in world football is what it should be, and what it used to be up until six months ago. Now it's you put in a dozen good games at a mediocre team, and you know we want the world for you, and you know if there's Chelsea's out there willing to pay it, I understand why teams demand it but if you're, if you're Benfica and you bought a guy for 20 and sell him for 100 million profit six months later, it's hard to say you're not coming out in a very good spot on that deal. Problem is, is the ceilings risen, but so is the
2: floor because not only is it Chelsea, but you have to remember that Wolves outspends us this year. Nottingham Forest have outspends us this year. Like it, it's these teams that are coming up in Premier League are also out there just spending, spending, spending money. I cannot believe a team that just got promoted into the Premier League spent close to two hundred. Uh, Two hundred mil. Now we are at the top of the hour. I did want to do like one little where we're talking about values, and I thought you would love this uh, this game. I want you to name a price. We're going to pretend like the season just ended. Arsenal just won the league. Like we're winning the league, and the transfer window opens up. Eddie's on his grill. You know he's already he's already got his targets set. Declan Rice. We got Calcedo coming in. You got Bellingham, You know all these different ideas, but. People are going to be sniffing around our players, especially the players that maybe aren't Oz first, uh, on the first eleven starting sheet every single week. So mm-hmm. I want you to answer to me: What value would you be comfortable with seeing these players go at? And I'm going to start okay. off rough. Kieran Tierney.
3: Okay, so not what I think they're worth, what I would like to see us demand for them or get for yeah. them in a Kieran Tierney. I'll say. Hmm. What I would demand and what I think we're, we're going to get are slightly different. So I'm yeah, going to say, say both. I would demand up front if someone came in for them, say like a Newcastle, which I think is very likely, came in and said they wanted them. I would tell Newcastle 50, and I think we could get 45 out of them.
2: Hmm.
3: Okay, no, we're, we're not. We're not 80 million on Kieran Tierney. Okay, okay, I see. I see.
2: <laughs> and okay. I love
3: Tierney. I hate to see him go, but it just feels like it's coming this summer.
2: Real Madrid put all their money in the basket and they say, We want one William Saliba. What do you say?
3: <laughs> uh, I would say, Give us 115 is what I would demand publicly. I think they'd probably buy him for 100 because they're Real Madrid and they can. And to be honest, he's one of those that may be worth it. You know, if you plug him into that lineup, he's probably starting there for the next 10 years he's he's that level of talent if he reaches you know kind of his peak he would be one that lives up to that dollar amount so I would demand 115 or 120 and I think you could get 100 for him the way things are going now if you can get 100 from Hila Mudric, you can certainly get 100 for William Saliba
2: that would make him just so you know that would make him the most expensive defender ever sold in history mm-hmm. uh, and I think he's worth every penny well, what about his partner Gabrielle
3: He's an interesting one. I feel like he divides a lot of opinion. He's a little more rash at times than you'd like him to be, but he's he's really, really good. If someone was going to come in for him, I would put a demand of probably 70. I'm not sure that you get that for him, but that would be kind of my starting point, especially considering he's a player I don't want to sell. So if it was me personally, I may even price him higher, but I think that's probably a more fair figure for him is around 70.
2: Here's an interesting one, and one that I could actually see happening too, because I think he's done a lot to raise his own stock, Matt Turner.
3: I'm I'm a big fan of Matt Turner. I, I actually am one of the few. I watch a lot of MLS, so I'm, I'm pretty familiar with him before he even came to Arsenal. Um, he's looked good for us. He had a fantastic World Cup. I'm trying to remember. He looked great we, in the Cup too, uh, yeah. in City. He's He's not as modern day with the footwork and the distribution that you'd like, but in terms of shot stopping, he's fantastic. He he really is. What did we pay for Turner? About twelve? Yeah. Somewhere in that range. Um, if someone came in to buy him, I, I think we could double our money on him this summer. I think we could sell him to somebody for demand twenty five, maybe get twenty.
2: Emil Smith Rowe doesn't play another game, but we won the league. What do you sell him for?
3: Man, that's that's a tough one to pick out. I mean, valuing a guy who's played almost no football this year. I mean, off the bench last year, he got double-digit Premier League goals. So, you know, he was up here. Now you go almost an entire year of not really playing or contributing in any real way. For that reason, I think we probably wouldn't sell him just because what he's potentially worth isn't anywhere near what you'd get for him. So I would (sighs) – I think we would try and claim like 50 for him, but I think he's a guy you'd probably get like – 32, 35, four right now, just based on the lack of play for a full year at that age is typically not good for a player. So 30, 35, I think is what we'd probably see for him. What if Todd Bowley asks? Well, if Todd Bowley asks, he's definitely not for sale, but if he keeps (laughs) pushing, you know, I'd tell him a hundred and see what he says.
2: I'd tell him like one seventy easy.
3: I mean, I don't think you're going to buy,
2: pay a hundred for Mudrick. Here's a guy that scored nine goals. Well, over, well, it was double digits. How
3: many did he score last year? I was thinking he had 10 or 11, but I'm not Yeah, because it sure was many... double
2: digits. Um, I don't know, man. That's a really rough one because the the thing about ESR and his, his injury trajectory, he can go one of two ways. He can go the way of Jack Wilshire, where mm-hmm. unfortunately this niggle just never goes away and it plagues him for the rest of the career. Or, and, and this is a name that a lot of people don't think about because it's not in this league, he could go the way of Marco Royce. You remember Marco Royce in the beginning of his career? We didn't buy him because he was so injury prone. He was literally injured um, that time, and I remember thinking I wanted him instead of Mkhitaryan around that time when we uh, when we were looking at them both. And I, but long story short, Marco Royce is actually now has the best injury record in the Bundesliga. So you never want to like let a player that has that much talent go. And that's why it's always a hard kind of to do these evaluations. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, here's, here's, the, here's a big one.
3: Flo Baligan. Yeah, so we did touch on this earlier a little bit when we were talking about him. Um, it, it depends on how the rest of the season goes. As it is right now, he's the leader in the golden boot race, and, and Mbappe just got hurt, so he's going to be out for about three weeks. So he's got a little bit of chance to maybe boost that. If he goes on to win the golden boot in that league, I would this summer, I would demand 60 for him. Up front, that would kind of be my public thing. I think you could easily get 50 for him. If he, you know, if he bags 18 or 20 goals, wins the golden boot, I think 50 million for him is a is a fair number. We'll see how the market goes. I, I would, like we mentioned before, I would not be selling him in the Premier League. If it was a Premier League team, I would demand a much higher valuation for him. But say Napoli wants him as a replacement for Ossiman, I think you can maybe get 50, 60 million range for him. And, and that would be a pretty fair figure, really. Eddie and Kedia. I like these
2: answers from the audience, by the way. I'm, we're putting them up. I, I, I literally love each of these answers.
3: It's, it's incredible. But Eddie and Kettia, what would you do? Hmm. Kind of like Balogun, it depends on how these next two or three months go because his his playing time, it depends a little bit on Jesus, how quickly he comes back and what level he comes back at because it's hard to say right now that Jesus, I think if Jesus, they said he was 100% tomorrow. I don't think he starts against Everton. Uh, I mean, and Caddy is playing well. He's scoring goals, so I think he's gonna play more. Um, the second half of the season is not going to be Jesus comes in and Eddie out completely. So if he continues to score goals at his current rate, I, you can't demand less than you would demand for Balogun. so I think I would put out a fifty on him as well. I think it's more likely we sell Balogun and keep Eddie. I think it's much more likely that's the way it goes. But I think they're both worthy of a 50 million plus demand based on what we've seen recently in in player sales. I think you're thinking with your Arsenal brain. I think we've paid players to leave
2: for so long that when (laughs) Eddie and Kedia right now has XG only bested by Holland in the league. His rate right now is insane. So if he kept scoring at this rate, which I don't know if he will, there's obviously the big question mark there. But my God, no, he wouldn't go for less than 100 for me because you have to consider, like, this guy is doing this in the Premier League at a rate that a absolute cyborg is going at. That's that's huge for me. I, I think that it, it, it's more of that I don't know what it is about Eddie and Kedia because he could play for England, so he should have the England tax on him. But we just he always gets like not he, he doesn't get hyped up. You know what I mean? Nobody ever At gets all. carried away talking about Eddie and Kedia. Never have I heard somebody go like like ever have I ever heard somebody go like over the top talking about Eddie and Kedia. And and he's kind of doing his best moving uh is moving in silence so to speak so i don't know personally i think that if we were in for a top a striker that scored at this rate he'd score like 15 16 goals in half a season uh in the Premier league i would expect to pay like 70 or 80 million easy
3: yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. I think the biggest, it, it is funny how much he flies under the radar. You look at England's all time, you know, under 23s or under 20 goal score, whatever record he has. The, the criticism of him, especially in this team, because Gabby Jesus does so many of the things off the ball that we like yeah. to see and make us look good, that the criticism of Encadia is, well, all he does is score goals. But when you're a striker, if that's the biggest critique of you, is all you do is score goals, you're doing pretty good. And I think it's also worth noting that all those things that Jesus does that we don't think Enkedia does as well, Nketiah does all those things better than Flo Balogun. And I think the numbers back that. So it's an interesting one for sure because I don't think anyone planned on him potentially being starting a lot of games for Arsenal and then being for sale in the summer. I think it's just a weird dynamic. But like I said, I think it's much more likely we're talking price for Balogun in the summer than it is we're talking a sale price on Enkedia. All right, we're going to gonna
2: we're gonna uh, kind of pull a wrap to this. So we've got two more names to name. Uh, the first one's going to be the one guy that I think a lot of people are talking about. Will, will we keep him? Won't we keep him? We send him out to loan uh, to the Master Vieira to learn. What would you do in the summer?
3: Uh, what asking price would get Sambi Lakanga for you? He's a tough one to price. He, he's played not much at all for Arsenal. We'll see what kind of plan they have for him at Palace. If he's playing a lot of minutes there, these next two months, even I know I've said this on a couple of guys, but for him, even more than anyone else, these two months, three months would kind of set his value because he just hasn't had a chance to show much. I, I, I mean, if we sold him over this window, we wouldn't sell him for much more than we paid for him, probably, just because he hasn't had a chance to show anything or prove anything. If he has a good six-month loan spell, and you know, and, and for a Premier League team, I think Palace would probably be the team that's trying to buy him and you'd have to price him based on kind of these next few months, because right now it'd be hard to demand any more than what we paid. So the hope would be you could set a 30 million tag on him, but he would have to have a phenomenal six months for that to happen. And if it comes down to uh, not working out that way, I think it's most likely we just loan him again for next season to a different team, assuming, you know, we, I'm not sure what his contract situation is, but assuming he's not down to his last year, I think we would pursue a loan for him and try and give him a chance to up that value somewhere else. So, uh, this is going to be the one. Everybody get
2: your clips ready. Get your sound checks ready. This is the one. He's going to say the thing. Bakayo Saka.
3: <laughs> Bakayo Saka is on the not-for-sale list, period. There, there's there's no chance ever that Saka is getting sold this time. $300 million. No. I mean, it sounds like he's going to re Not sounds like. Saka is going to re-sign an extension for us before oh, this season ends. So it's, not, so, it's a non-issue. But he's he's that good. He's a not for sale type of player, and I, I would stand I by you. that. There's I no you. number I don't, anyone would offer that we would accept or should accept. I don't think like even if we got Mbappe
2: money, like what they sold Mbappe for and what they sold Neymar for was like 200 million each, and I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'd let that go because I don't know that I can get Bakayo Saka good out of 200 million. You know what I mean? And that's what the what we're really saying. You know what I mean? That if we mm-hmm. get this value for this player, we expect to be able to use this money to get a player of similar or better quality. And I don't think you get somebody of similar or better quality for two hundred for for that two hundred million. I mean, I, I think he's outperforming Gnabry this year. I think he's outperforming Sane this year. I think he's outperforming every other
3: winger not named Messi this year. Um I don't know. I think I think it's spot on. I mean, if you told someone to write down everything you would want in a potential star player that plays on the wing, every single thing you wrote down, Bukayo Saka is, I mean, off the pitch, on the pitch, everything you would look for in a player, he does. And to put a price on that's pretty tough, because like you said, even with 200 million, there's not a single player out there that you'd be able to buy to slot in to replace what he does. And the fact that he's an Arsenal boy, everybody loves him. He's in the England international setup. He's basically one of the first names on the sheet for them. He, he ticks every single box. And on top of it, maybe the most likable player in world football, or certainly at the top of the list. So he's one that there's just, there's not a number that anyone would offer that Arsenal would say yes to.
2: You know, it's interesting that you just said that because um, remember when we were having our our, our epic Jorginho fight earlier where we really went <laughs> at each other. Uh, I was talking about context and how the downside of his context makes it so he has to you have to evaluate evaluate more than just his norm, um, normative football level. You know, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with Sokka where it's like what Sokka gives Arsenal outside of what he just does on a like footballing level on the pitch is so enormous. And that's where all of that billion dollar value comes from because it is true. There is not a, I don't think that there's been a player that I've seen so loved at the club since maybe Robin van Percy. And I, and I mean that, and I, you remember Robin van Robin in his, in his punk when, when Robin was going off, how much we loved him. And I think we might love Saka more it's, it's, it's interesting. This one, you know,
3: especially with his rise as a player has kind of come along at the same time as our rise as a team to the top of the table. So it's hard to kind of put anybody above him in terms of the, the way the fans adore him. And it's great because we're lucky to have him and we're lucky to be watching his whole career at Arsenal from when we saw him, you know, wear number 77 coming on, just starting to get some minutes in the first team to now, being one of the best players in the country is is pretty fantastic and we'll sign him to probably a five-year extension before this season ends and we'll get to watch him from you know teenager through the prime of his career in an Arsenal shirt and that's something that everybody should be excited about because we're lucky to lucky to have him you know you know what it is is and it's the same thing with Mikel Arteta
2: and and I and I want everybody to sit down and really listen to what I'm saying so oftentimes, because the Premier League, because of the the chart that I just showed you about spending, the Premier League for years buys ready-made people. It buys players that are already hitting it, already expecting it. It buys managers. When was the last time you saw a manager come to the Premier League at a top team that wasn't proven? Oh wait, Mikel Arteta and that's what i'm getting at here that's why this season is so special for arsenal fans because you're getting to see something that we don't normally get to see and at the and having a player and a coach at the same time slowly rise to the level of elite and then world class in front of your own eyes you can't you can't bottle that magic that magic can't be priced or commodified it is what i just described as it's magic this is the birth of an elite player and an elite manager this is this guy this mikel arteta came in with no experience because saka started off as a left back you know <laughs> like like as in as in rotational fodder because he was an emergency choice uh because we had nobody else at the time cuz Kalajanak was injured or something and that's that's mm-hmm. something you cannot put a price on because you'll never see it again. I remember watching Messi. My my, fr- my best friend's a Barcelona fan and we watched Messi and it's the same. I'm not saying that he's Messi, please. I know everybody's <laughs> going to clip that up. But what I am saying is watching him go from strength to strength is the same. It's that same feeling where you're like, there's something happening here. And and so oftentimes we roll the dice and we don't hit the jackpot that when you do, it's so it's so so sweet, so so sweet. It so, last great. question for you, Jared, and then we're going to wrap the show. Um, top four project of uh, top four prediction. Go.
3: Um, Arsenal at top, City second, United third. I think underrated transfer that hasn't gotten much attention. Uh, Sabitz are going to them is a it great. It's a yeah. painfully great pickup for them. He's he's a really good versatile player. And he'll do a good job there. So those three, as it sits now, I think are going to remain there. Fourth is a tough one. I'm going to lean towards, I'll say Newcastle. And I think actually they may have already, are they ahead of United. Is United fourth, Newcastle third right now? I'm not sure. I think those are the current top four, and I actually think they're going to stay the same. I think those four teams consistently look the best. Spurs, <laughs> they're... They're, they are who we thought they were. <laughs> They're a mediocre team that every once in a while gets some goals out of Kane, and that's it. I see there's a good one, a good shout in the chat here. Somebody said Brighton. I don't know mm-hmm. that they'll make it in, but I, I like Mark's thought there because they, they have played well this season, and they've been pretty impressive. And I, regardless, I want Brighton to finish above Chelsea just so Potter has to look up at Brighton when he checks out the table. Something about that <laughs> I really enjoy. I think that Brighton, for sure, has been the
2: surprise attacking package. I think they're incredible in transition and going forward. Like, oh, that boy Matoma. But I think Newcastle, underrated, and it's not talked about enough. Nick Pope might be player of the season. Just saying. Like, that defense is actually something. You are witnessing something that is rarely ever seen in the Premier League. Like, that defense is is something to be marveled at and yep. nick pope at, at the center of it i mean how much should they pick him up for why was how is hugo Lloris at spurs and <laughs> nick pope at newcastle Like,
3: yeah what an, i mean I'm, i'd prefer him there than at tottenham but yeah that's an oversight they're they're back four and pope and and part of that their midfield too i mean they've been defensively there is i mean are they best in the league i'm not sure right now if not they've got to be really close but they're just exceptionally difficult to score on, which is why they don't lose a lot of games. Now, the downside is their attack has been not what they want it to be, and that's why they've drawn a lot of games. But you're right, defensively and end goal, they're as tough as anybody in the league right now for sure.
2: Um, quick answer to this question, just so you guys know, what, what it would take would be half of Qatar – and then uh, the M- Manchester City football director would have to toss the salad of every Arsenal fan after we eat those really <laughs> crappy meat pies that they have down by down the pub around the Emirates, all right? Like afterwards, not before, after, okay? That's what I have to say to that. Arteta's going nowhere. And you know what's my favorite part of what's come out recently with this new Gordiola-Arteta rivalry mentor, whatever you want to call the drama is. I love the clips that have come out when he said, you know, Arteta never celebrated a single goal for city Mm -hmm. against Arsenal. And then you start seeing the clips. It's great. He was always one of us. And it's crazy because he came from, he came uh, from Everton. He was at a Premier league club before us. Never hear him talk about it. Mm
3: -mm. He is an Arsenal guy. And, and the best part about that is, I mean, that's kind of everybody's thought the last couple of years is if Pep goes, and Arteta is doing well here they're going to come in for him but things like that make you think that he's going to he has no reason to go if we're already Premier League champions this season why would you leave i mean why would he leave anyway he's built a fantastic team of young players and he and edu to their credit has set this team up to where they should be successful over the next handful of years and if they keep that same blueprint hopefully that can move out now now you know you can't stay at the top forever, but they've set us up for what's hopefully going to be a really enjoyable next four or five years of football. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, and speaking of blueprints and staying at the top, what we have found is if our shows go on for too long, we won't stay there. So we're actually going to call it here. But another part of that winning formula that we figured out is we're going to try to create some more content for you. So guys, uh, do do us a favor, hit that like button. We will be back around Jared and I tomorrow for an Everton preview show. Come on, you gunners. So until next time, remember, stay uh, stay humble, stay frosty, and all you gooners around the world. <laughs> Keep going at them, fans, You're really getting to him on social media. Keep going at them. They're not getting up. Literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> TGP out. <laughs>
0: the Gooners Podcast, a production of TGP Media, wholly on subsidiary of Wanker Broadcasting Company, Limited PLC. All rights and likenesses, except for Owens, are available for purchase and distribution according to the historical tenets of bird law. Make sure to check out the Gooners Podcast on Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash TGP. Find Gooners v Cancer at GoonersvCancer.com and don't forget, get them credit cards out. The Gooners Podcast has been brought to you thanks to a generous investment from Elon Musk, as well as the letter G and the number 69. Remember, Gooner family, that taught them get better everywhere they go. TGP out. Once upon a time, way back when there were only 9,000 Arsenal podcasts, six young men from various backgrounds, a young basketball prodigy with more trophies in the last 20 years than Tottenham Hotspur, an Irish kid with a horrible haircut, a young Jewish nerd who hadn't discovered food yet, a child from Hemel Hempstead who didn't want to be English no more. A handsome young man who learned to play football on the hard streets of Disney World. And a young Mexican AC Milan fan. Hatched a plan to take over the world of Arsenal Podcasts. But then these boys became men. Jared. Ewan. Magic. Aston andy and Miguel and the rest my friends is history and now all these years later you tune in every so often to hear their incredible takes their football knowledge and their sensual advice but now it's gone too far you our fans are at long last witness Two season.
1: Seven, 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 seven.
0: Welcome to the Gooners Pod.
2: Hello and welcome to the Gooners pod as usual I am apparently the host of this podcast now Aston Mac. Um, but back with me in the uh, in the studio for the first time in forever I think this is actually the rarest combination on the Gooners podcast so you are in for a treat it is your podcaster's favorite podcaster <laughs> the great the wonderful Owen how you doing
1: Oh, that's that's ridiculously complimentary um most people call me an asshole that's the first ever time i've been introduced like that yeah no 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 i'm good i'm good buddy it's uh obviously trying to bounce back from that uh defeat about everton which i'm sure we're gonna get stuck into but obviously other circumstances have sort of relinquished that that pain and hurt and um, as disgusting as the source of that relinquishment uh was but uh yeah i'm looking forward to
2: breaking it down with you buddy yeah, it'll be. I mean, listen, listen. There's some good news. There's some bad news. We got to talk about a certain club disappearing. Oh, look, sinking ships. Who would have Who would have thought? um <laughs> before we get into all of that on a personal level, I mean, again, I said this with Jared. Everybody calls it Magic Mike's Mystery Tour, but we had other Gunners Pod members there too. How was the visit to London, my friend?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was brilliant. I was in and out pretty quick, which is uh, my usual sort of. Way of doing things but um uh yeah it was fantastic obviously seeing everybody seeing jared who uh came the whole way to newry in ireland uh, to see me which was so it was good to return the favor in terms of putting in some effort to get over and see him obviously mike is always an absolute hoot uh but what a game what an atmosphere do you know i think that that was jared's first game that he caught live which is uh <sighs> seriously which is an honor to do with anybody um, under normal circumstances, but in, in a game like that, with the result and the fashion that that it was, the atmosphere was just absolutely breathtaking. Um. So yeah, it made for for a very memorable uh, weekend.
2: Man, I am I. You. I can't tell you how jealous I am. I mean, that whole stadium, especially not not only did you get to enjoy such a great atmosphere at a great time but you also got to watch a great game i mean i can't even like fathom what that atmosphere was like when eddie and have scored that goal and just like that that, that explosion of joy across the emirates it must have been well un unforgettable yeah absolutely
1: but I, I tell you the one moment that i people are probably probably sick of hearing me say and at that stage that that I took away from that game that I've never heard in 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 the Emirates before, which was, um, when Marcus Rashford's goal hit the back of the net, that first goal, um, yeah. the Man United fans popped, and within a split second they were drowned out by the Ar- by the Arsenal crowd. It was it was it was breathtaking. It was literally even the United fans were surprised because I've never seen. A gold celebration stopped so fast in my life. It was insane. The noise, the noise for that was almost as loud as 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 the Eddie uh, Eddie and Caddie a winner. It was a uh, unbelievable.
2: Yeah, I, I, you know it's funny. I, I brought this up on the podcast earlier. I was live at Fan Fest for the NBC coverage for that, and when I when that goal went in, there was dead silence among us. United was cheering. A couple, I even saw like two Arsenal uh, uh, fans get up. I don't know if they were leaving or getting food or what was going on, but the point is, is you could hear the Emirates erupt through the um, the sound system, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all of us just turned and started screaming. So what you were a part of was felt like around the world, which is a crazy thing to think of. I mean, because we're just kicking a ball around, you know what I mean?
1: Exactly, yeah. But it's a, it's definitely, and, and something I have to sort of tip my cap to, and I see Jared in the chat, and um, I think that he can join me in this, is the the Ashburton Army, which people can snigger at and and be snide about and and turn around and say that they are, you know, a bunch of youths that are trying to be pretend hooligans. But being up close, I think we were about two rows behind um, behind them, uh, in 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 the clock end, and it's the closest I've been to them. But Jesus, they put out some energy, and it really reverberates around the stadium. They, they don't don't get it twisted. They are a massive part of the reason that that atmosphere has been generated at uh, at the Emirates this season. So, um, fair dues to them.
2: Yeah, I always want to go ahead and give ta- uh, hats off to our fantastic fan base. I mean, all over the world, and the Ashburn Army has been just the spearhead of of a real revolution at Arsenal. Now, I do want to say, hey, everybody in chat. I see you, Jared. I see you, Gooner Works. I see you, Mark. Uh, the Irish Beast, lo- lovely having you here. Always, guys, remember, if you guys could leave us a like to help us grow the channel, it's much appreciated. But only like us if you like us. If you don't, you know, leave a nasty comment or something, especially for Magic Mike. Um we did have a game. We're, we're talking about all this great energy, but we did have a game, and it was kind of a deflating game. 1-0 uh, to the Everton. Um, a, a, a result I don't think any of us kind of expected. I mean, Everton, Everton are bottom of the league. Um, the On form, the worst team in the league, and, I, and by no small margin either. And yet they were able to hold off the mighty, mighty arsenal at the top of the league at five points. What have you got to say?
1: Yeah, look, and... Uh, I... I think when, obviously, the dismissal of of Frank Lampard from Everton um, happened and the appointment of of Sean Dyche conveniently right in time for Arsenal's trip to Goodison all came together. It was really an accumulation of a number of um, unhelpful circumstances for Arsenal to be going there. And um, we all know that uh, Sean Dyche, to a certain extent, has been not only Arsenal's but a lot of the big sixes uh, mm. crypt- he's been their kryptonite essentially, and this really was um, a Bernie performance, you know, through yeah. and through. Uh, physicality in terms of you know their approach, that you can't, you can't, you can't, um, you know, look away from the fact that their energy levels, their their uh, their willingness to press, uh, their their defensive resilience. It was it was it was brilliant from Everton, but the one thing that I was pretty disappointed about was that this isn't an Arsenal of old. This isn't, you know, 2017 Arsenal that are physically inept to deal with a side like Everton. We have some big boys and and, and players that are very willing to get involved in those types of battles. And there's certain things in football that you can't control. You know, everybody is off days in terms of the way that they move the ball around and uh, the way that they make runs. People have off days and they're humans and that's going to happen. But I was pretty uh, upset at the fact that apart from maybe Gabriel Magalhaes, every single player on that pitch lost their individual physical battle mm. against Everton. One thing that I did have some issue with, with was that I think there was almost an overindulgence on behalf of Everton to get involved in those physical battles, even off the ball at times. Um, and I think that the officials not nipping that in the bud early on sort of um, played into their hands of allowing that game plan to flourish. So...
2: Look, yeah, the Zinchenko incident comes to mind immediately.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But look, it's a disappointing result. There's no getting away from that, but maybe a necessary kick up the ass that we needed at this stage of the season because obviously we can discuss in more detail later, but due to other um, results, <laughs> we, we 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 got out of this sort of hiccup uh, pretty unscathed.
2: Yeah. Every now and then little brother comes through. It's not common. It's not often. You would never bet bet a house or anything of value on it, but every now and then a little brother comes through, man, whenever Sean dice gets in charge of a team, I feel like this is what happens. (laughs) But um, here, listen, I I do want to dive because, you know, I am a stats guy. You know, I love to Mm -hmm. dive into the stats a little bit. We've got um, Arsenal possession 70 to Everton's 30. Our pass accuracy 85% to Everton's 68% Um, shots on target. On only two to Everton's four, and and then of course the saves are well we made three saves to there, too. I think what's more more interesting is here. This is the first time I've ever seen a graph like this. What this season, Arsenal by far and away were not. Anywhere near as creative as Everton when it comes to creating chances, their chances were better in better positions. More, um, there were more of them, and and it. For a lot of people, those underlying stats seem really, really worrying when you're fighting an underlying team. Now, when I'm sitting here talking about why did this happen, how how did we get here, especially against like a relegation side like Everton, I think that you pick something up where I, I think that it's not just that they were losing their physical battles. It's that arsenal on the day, the individual players were not coming up with creative solutions to problems in front of them. Now, what happened was, from my analysis – Everton went pretty straightforward. They said, we're going to set up in a 4-5-1 in defense. We're going to use our two wide players to double up on your wide player. So we're going to go 2-1 v against Martinelli and Saka. And then we're going to man-mark Odegaard. There's not going to be a moment Odegaard breathes on the pitch, which was evident. He actually touched the ball the least out of every player on the uh, the pitch that night, even including um, Aaron Ramsdale. So that should tell you exactly how not involved Odegaard was. And I think that what ended up happening is we reverted to something that Oftentimes, you know, I would almost say City parallels this. You saw this in the game against Tottenham. You see this whenever City lose. Sometimes we just have possession and we don't know what to do with it. A lot of switch balls from one side to the other. Why would you do that? So what? They can go 2v1 against Saka so that you can get the ball passed back to Partey. There was not a lot of creativity in the middle of the field. And it's interesting because I think for let's say the better part of, you know, a decade, we've been very upset that our midfield have been the most supreme technical gifted players that you've ever seen with the creativity, literally just oozing out of their pores, but we didn't have any steel. We didn't have any fight. We didn't have any grit, any strong men, any hard men in the middle to kind of balance that out. And we would oftentimes get overrun because of that, you know, I almost feel like it's the opposite a little bit when I saw the game um, this weekend when it, Odegaard's not involved. Are we very creative outside of our front men? Are we very creative? And this is something I want to ask you. How do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, well, look, I think you completely hit, hit the nail on the head there with um, part of it was just Everton nullifying all our areas of threat. You know, the you mentioned the double, doubling up on um Martinelli and, and Saka did not the wide areas and then obviously Onana in, in central midfield who was uh, an absolute mammoth of a performance from him you know there was a lot of Arsenal fans and him as potentially a Casado mm-hmm. alternative and I think mm-hmm. he, he he really didn't let his stock drop any in that performance hey, man. Hey, dude. That, dude yeah. that fucker is huge Fantastic and he um, his attitude, everything was brilliant but even down to the small details like the pitch you know anybody watching? And I know um, our good friend uh, Tom Canton was was working the game, and he has made multiple comments on how bad that pitch was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that if you look at attacking threat, a lot of our a lot of our um, success in an in an attacking sense comes from transition from back to front at rapid pace, smooth mm-hmm. passes from the back, playing out from the back, getting the ball into Thomas Partey, overturning it, an intricate pass and intricate passing. And I even think you started to see a lot of our technical players actually lifting the ball off the ground when they were passing because it was just so bad uh, in terms of trying to link up those those nice on-the-ball, uh, on-the-ground passes. Um, but listen, these are things that we have to overcome. These are situations that we're we're going to have to find solutions to. And I think that to a certain extent as well, I think that when we look at this game, we can criticise certain players and performances and say that everything was slightly un- underwhelming but I do think that Mikel Arteta had a part to play as well. I was relatively disappointed in, in the changes not in terms of who he brought on but mm-hmm. where, he, where he took them on. You know, I think that potentially uh, they were too like for like. There wasn't enough of variation you know, to try and mix things up. I think that perhaps leaving Martin Udegaard on the pitch and and taking Fabio Vieira on in, in place of Granit Xhaka and Maybe relinquishing some of the responsibility created creatively on Martin Odegaard, maybe would have freed him up even slightly more. Because you know that when you have one singular attacking outlet, um, it's very easy to nullify that. Whereas if you have multiple, well, then that that just changes the playing field for Everton. so.
2: I wanna stop you right there. I wanna stop you right there because that's an interesting thing that you brought up because I brought some information that I think kind of speaks to this story a little bit. Now I am going to be the first to tell you, don't you ever come for my Jaka. If you are not an Arsenal fan, you do not get to talk about Granite Jaka because I don't care. The things that he's done and the ways that he's improved, I listen, I love him, I love him, I love him. But let me show you some stuff real quick. So when we're talking about um, the midfield, right? These this is showing the best attackers and the ones that are also creating a lot of XG. You see Odegaard up here at the very very top. Look at where you see Xhaka in the bottom left, right, right there in uh, right there next to um, Mount and, and Bernardo Silva, who's barely played this this season. Now going on. I can show you creativity as well. When you're looking at uh, when you're looking at this chart, um, you can see that Jaka, mm, they don't take on. He doesn't take on a lot of players. He does create chances, but you see again Odegaard, Saka on the top right of that, actually doing the underlying statistical work for a team. Now this is where Jaka shines. Is he actually is called like apparently his greatest strength is always going to be his progressive passing, but here yet again he's not even close to, to Martin Odegaard again. And this isn't me trying to like nitpick a Jocka or, or say that he's been a flopper. I think he's been incredible this season, but I think that what we're starting to find out is once teams are thought think to put the, even the most modest eye on him, his attacking threat is nullified. There's not a really a lot that he does in the final third of the pitch, he can pass a ball well and he can definitely progress you up the pitch. But when we're looking for something, you that every 10 game, especially when we're entrenched in front of their box for so long, you're thinking, could Vieira give us a little more in that space? Could, could um, we put Trossard in, in that space and leave Martinelli on the outside or, or Saka in that space and put Trossard on the wing or something, because is that maybe a little bit of a dead spot on the pitch for us?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that is where Mikel Arteta um, fell short uh, during the match. You know, I've seen a lot of players uh, talking about <laughs> that's good time in Jorginho. Uh, I don't think he can really cast too much at Jorginho in that performance. I don't think he was only yeah. really bad, and he definitely wasn't responsible for um, the result. But I think that above all else, um, and I have to say this carefully because it can come across as singling a player out unnecessarily. Mm. Um, and he absolutely doesn't deserve that. But I think absolutely this, not. I think that this is the type of game that we missed Gabriel Jesus most. These situations were deep block sitting, um, very stubbornly back, not really willing to, to break their lines at all and, and being very structured in a sense. And I think that Eddie and Kelly has been absolutely phenomenal. Take nothing away from him. There's no caveat here. It isn't a butt with Eddie. He's been brilliant. Gabriel Jesus brings a certain skill set that Eddie and Caddy just doesn't have. Um, in terms of drifting out wide, Eddie and Caddy stays relatively central in front of those goalposts and doesn't really um head towards the bylines. Whereas Gabriel Jesus does, and he opens up space for other players in turn from doing that. And I also think that when you look for a player with the ability individually to pull apart a defense i'm not sure that eddie's there eddie needs that that f- needs fed he needs that service whereas i think that gabriel <coughs> Zeus has the uh, has the ability to break people down at teams like that as well mm-hmm. but listen to go through an entire season unbeaten is never going to happen you know that's why the invincibles are held as such high esteem in the football world with a young side with the competition levels that there is in the Premier League, the quality levels from top to bottom, this is going to happen. We are going to drop more points in this season, but our rivals will also drop points,
2: um, as we've seen this weekend.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think they get carried away after one defeat um, to a side that have obviously had a big bounce, to a side that were structurally set up to absolutely nullify us, and I think we're relatively lucky to get the goal. Maybe that they did as well. Um things like this happen and it's about how we bounce back from that. Um, not what happened now. So Brentford is obviously massive.
2: So Eddie and Kedia, I think did get a little bit of shtick in this game. I think another player that got just a little bit of stick was uh and, and because of recent performances has been Gabriel Martinelli. Could you do me a favor for the listeners, can you go ahead and describe what you're seeing here and and what you think uh what you think we can do to kind of counteract this issue in the future?
1: Yeah, so obviously this is the the average positions taken up um, from our players from Everton, and one thing that you would say is that it's extremely deep. And I would say as well for for a Michael Arteta system, and um, something that I am pretty surprised about by that is just how wide our wide men are. We mm-hmm. know that the, we know that both these players individually do like to to make that dart and run. Um, diagonally across the box, quite centrally. But something that Everton did very, very well was keep them wide to a certain extent. Um, But collectively, overall, you would say that the back line is relatively high up in terms of their average positioning. But by God, our our front three attackers
2: were were being pushed back so far. But listen... What about Martinelli in that situation? I mean, look at White and Saka. Now look at Zinchenko and Martinelli. And doesn't he feel a little isolated?
1: Yeah, yeah, you could say that, but the, the, the caveat to that is when you look at who mm. is playing beside him in, in, uh, and Zinchenko and, and Granit Xhaka both have the ability to make that line split and pass between the centre-back and the full-back, and arguably that's where Gabriel Martinelli should have been making his runs, but sometimes you just have to turn around and say, Seamus Coleman... Was very very good on the day. He, <laughs> yeah. he handled them well. You know, a player can sometimes you just have the there's nothing to decipher or pick apart. Sometimes it was just that his opponent was very very good, and I think that 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 was what happened today. That Seamus Coleman went out with a very well drilled game plan and executed it to perfection. You know, much like Wan-Bissaka at Man United. uh I think that when Martinelli comes up against a defensively sound player, sometimes that's where he can struggle. Um, but listen, uh, props to Everton. I think that that the uh, as I'm repeating, then the the went out with their their game plan and and they,
2: and they played it to perfection. Do you think Everton are still going down this season, or do you think that Sean is going to be able to save them? No, absolutely not. They're 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 they're, st- they're staying up
1: um a hundred percent with with Sean And uh, uh, I think that the turmoil it leads potentially is some. Uh, Something to play on that, even though they did pick up points um this evening. I still think that there's more fragile sides. And I think that Sean Dyche, at
2: what he does, is one of the most underrated managers in the Premier League. Mm. He's the new he's the new big Sam, some would say. How do you yeah. feel about the title though after this? Does this give you any wobbles? Are you feeling the same? Are you feeling a little more nervous? What what are you thinking? Uh
1: I've been absolutely shitting myself since the moment we got ourselves into this position you know it's the it's the whole elephant on top of the tree uh situation but the by fuck the elephants clinging on for dear life um but each each week i, I tell you it isn't arsenal's form that gives me massive confidence uh i think we're in very good form i think that results like this were always going to come and are probably going to come again it's the fragility of man city that is doing mm-hmm. it for me now w- we're going to go on to discuss i'm sure some of the off the field stuff that's happening but on the field they are nowhere near the team that they have been in in the last decade i would say they're the this is the closest you're ever going to see man city if things continue the way they are uh do mm-hmm. a transitional season and i think that pep Guardiola knows that i think that in his press conferences you can see that see the fear in its face um when he talks about you know the the title race he knows that this is such an uphill battle but the one thing i will say is that when you talk about tight races and 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 man city everybody's overlooking one thing we've got one big obstacle in front of us before that and that's brantford and they are in fantastic form they are they are where they are in merit they've got very very good players on a well drilled side as well so we can't let Bradford be a banana skin that we slip on without even noticing that it's there we have to mm-hmm. give that game it's uh it's deserved uh attention before we start to look on any further past that so it sounds very very um a cliche to say and very very artel like, but it's one game at a time at the minute let's just keep that going and and, and see where that takes us
2: yeah, like I like that mentality. Hey, we just we just need to get at least 40 points and uh one game at a time. Don't worry about it. Everything else, everything else is a bonus. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Um I and I and, and I echo your comment on Brentford just because Brentford are such a well-run club. Like I'm actually Brentford, Brighton and um there's another club that I I don't know why I can't think of the name off off the top of my head. But anyways, Brentford or Brighton are the two for me that seem like just clubs that I just think the top six could actually learn a lot from. The top six sometimes get a little spoiled from their position, so we expect to be able to go out and get the best players whenever we want. We expect that teams come to us and and expect to be dominated and play within themselves, and and we're going to always have more fans. And these are things that, that don't you know, come easy. And, and for Brentford and Brighton to be doing what they're doing, being able to, to take on, not only know that they have to compete against these giants. So they make very smart moves in the market. Um, I, I remember when Brentford was down and I think league one, I think one or two, they actually made the conscious decision. They said, every time we invest in our Academy, Manchester United, Manchester City and Arsenal come knocking and they take all of our best players. So we're actually just going to try to play some money ball, get a bunch of loan players and it in and play our way to the top and then establish a, an academy and I and it and it's just little choices like that that we don't even have to think about as like a big club, you know, trying to, trying to establish yourself. So hats off to them. I think it goes very much under the radar, how hard it is to come up from these leagues and to stay in and be, be contenders. I mean, Everton and, and Newcastle, uh, Everton, Newcastle, um, Southampton, well, not Newcastle, obviously they got bought out, but um, for a time before they got bought out and, and um and um Southampton are teams that I'm like you guys are going to get a a huge humbling if you think you guys can go down a league and just bounce right back up it's a completely different animal down there so um speaking of going down a league <laughs> i think that we might as well talk about the biggest story in football manchester city's sinking ship Now, obviously um, this week it's come out that the many allegations has come out towards Manchester City for financial doping. Those charges, uh, basically a summary. I do have them in front of me, but to cut through the legalese, they basically have paid. um, We're talking about Underhanded payments. So payments to players and managers under the table outside of their contract, as in a secret shadow contract, um, sponsorships from sponsors that do not really exist, like shady organizations that there's a, I think the, the famous one is there's this marketing company that literally has like a GoDaddy website and that's it. And it's clearly owned by the, um, the owners of Manchester City as well as, um, as well as inflation, on, uh, inflation and deflation of payments, so lying about the books and, uh, on the first place. So those are the allegations. It's been 10 years of this. We, we I mean, we, we've been thinking about this since they came into it. Matter of fact, a lot of us would would – I don't want to put Arsenal's downfall on them. I think we made our own terrible decisions. But if you remember, the Emirates was bought so that we could compete financially. And then in that same at that same period, Chelsea and City came along and go, oh yeah, that's that's not how this is going to work. You don't get to make these sorts of um, investments and have them work out because we're just going to outspend you like crazy. It's not even it's not even going to matter anymore. And and a little bit of that was on us again, foresight being bad bad on us. But at the same time, how many clubs have they trampled underfoot? How many titles have they won using these methods, allegedly?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, look, I think that the thing is, is that we've all been aware of it. That's the thing that this isn't something new. This isn't something you know that when you see those charges being brought forward towards Man City that you have a gasp of surprise and think, "Holy shit, no way! I never saw this coming." This is something that's been very, very transparent. I think for for years to come, uh, or for for this past few years, but. What I would say is that when you look at uh, the reported influx of revenue from that Man City report, uh, they're they're keeping company with clubs like uh, Man City or sorry Manchester United with Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. You know the 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 massive giants of of, of football in terms of uh, clubs that are followed globally. And the truth is is that when They're struggling to sell out Wembley for cup finals. Their share of tickets at Wembley for cup finals. When they're struggling to fill the had for big Champions League games. When even something as optic as when you're walking around your local town and how many Man City fans do you see? Not many. So for a club like Man City to be saying that their income and revenue um is anywhere near those other clubs is, is is just insane to me. Now, this is obviously <laughs> this is obviously a, a four-year investigation. Uh, some would question the time of this. There's been rumours that apparently there's been a push for an independent regulator to take over for the Premier League in, mm. uh, in terms of regulating it. Um, and some would say that this is potentially the Premier League trying to flex its muscles and say that we can handle our own affairs. Either way, I'm delighted. I'm delighted that this is being brought up because I personally, even Arsenal included in this, the money that's being thrown around for players in terms of uh, transfer fees for contracts, it's, it's filth. It's absolute filth. I despise the amount of money that's being spent in the game nowadays. I despise the player power that people have. I feel like it's, um, Sucking out the relatability that made football the beautiful game that it is. In terms of in the early days, you know, it was a a, a working man's game. Not the trend nar- narrow, <laughs> I'm not being exclusive there when I say that, but just in terms of relatability to it. But uh, the problem is now, I think that the Premier League have brought this to light. To me, in my mind, they must have extremely damning evidence that 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 man city have mm-hmm. been tampering and burning you know cooking their books to a certain extent but the problem that they put themselves in now is that if they throw the kitchen sink at a club like man city there's other clubs here as well clubs like um chelsea obviously who have been you know spent more in two transfer windows than branford have spent on players in their entire club's history <laughs> just, to, just to put that into perspective so it's that, going to have a knock-on effect. Now, this isn't going to be obviously a quick fix. I think I've seen um, a report from, uh, pardon me, but uh, I can't remember the guy who who broke this, Martin Zegler maybe or something like that. But he mm. says that the, the timeline is a, could potentially be two to four years before we see a, re, a, a revolution for this. But the knock-on effect is going to be massive. It could change, change the landscape of football. But for me, this is an opportunity to change the landscape of football for for the better because I personally don't think and people could criticize our owners for this, but I personally don't think that Arsenal are the type of club that even want to be spending fifty mm. and sixty and seventy million on players. We see the the standoffishness that Arsenal want to go for these massive money players, and to me, that's why I respect it because I would rather come second morally than than come first as a hypocrite. Mm. And and for me, for me, that's that that's why I have been relatively calm in terms of missing out on on a lot of the players that we
2: have. Yeah, I think I, I I wholeheartedly agree with that. One of the things that often gets lobbied at me, and and it, it, maybe it's a generational thing, maybe it's just a, you're a plastic fan kind of thing, but it's often lobbied like if this happened to Arsenal, you would be so like like if the the oil money came into Arsenal, if we got one of the the corrupt billionaires, and let me tell you. Okay. If you guys haven't checked out my other Twitter, my non sports Twitter, you can just, I I have certain opinions about billionaires. Okay. So I'm not saying that our billionaires are great or or anything like that, but there are thresholds to harm, right? And and I would never be comfortable taking that sort of money. Now, there are a lot of elements uh, to this thing going on. Like you were pointing out the fact that the independent regulator was going to be forced onto the Premier League. And it's an idea that maybe just maybe they're using Man City as a scapegoat in order to show that the Premier League can regulate itself. Sometimes it does feel a little bit like this. Uh, For those of you that are watching, this is the implications that maybe, you know. I'm not trying to say it, but it is strange to me that Man City is getting called out for this, which they rightfully should. Do do not mince my words here. I want Man City held accountable. I think they need to be kicked out of the league and their title stripped from them. That's my personal take. I don't think anything less than that is reasonable. But so does Chelsea. So do a lot of these different deals that we have known are going on. And if we're going to start nailing people for secret money given to managers, I bet you that's a much larger can of worms than just Manchester city or, or even, or even Chelsea for that matter. I think you'd probably, you might find some payments have been gone through between some of the, I I look at the revolving door at Manchester United and I know that we say, okay, maybe they did it the right way, but do we know? are we even looking? And those are, and those are the sorts of things. Obviously this extends internationally to the PSGs out there to some of the ways, the shady ways that Barcelona and Real Madrid have gotten players. And I just think that sometimes we need to take a pause and, you know, just sit around and go like, what the, what are we doing? What are, what are we going on here? Is this about making football better? Is this still about making football better? Is this about making this sport better? Because last I checked, last I checked, we pilfer all the best players from all the up and coming leagues so that they have absolutely bare talent. And if you're lucky enough to hit that lottery, then you can have a great career. But besides that, we're doing nothing. For these lower leagues all around the world not just in england but even around or around the world what about we we take all these players from south uh south america when was the last time we financially benefited any of their leagues or any of the institutions that build those players for us you know you look at where alexa you remember that documentary we had on alexis sanchez look at where he came from and where he's living And we got one of the best players, probably the best player that year in the Premier League, and we've done nothing to uplift the place that he came from. Say, hey, you did us a favor. You gave us this great talent. Why don't we do something for you? And I think that that's where you go to the working man's thing. That's why this feels so strange. This feels kind of like the Super League where we're just kind of like sitting on our hands a bit, but we we all know there's something just morally wrong here. We're just all afraid to say it. Does, Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think all your points are definitely
2: uh,
1: on point. But what I would say is that I think the reason everybody has maybe a sense of apprehension and and lack of willingness to really get too carried away with this is is that uh, this could, re- you know, you're looking you're looking at this and you're saying that this is a group of unethical people mm-hmm. who own a football club. Let let let's not push this on the Man City fans because. nothing to do with that whatsoever you know but then you look at the premier league do you trust the premier league and their board to be ethical and to do the right thing by the fans i'm not sure that i would put my trust in them to to do very much whatsoever because by rights should titles be stripped and stuff like that's a there's a massive knock-on effect. I think that that's really difficult to get into. But in terms of what should happen, you look at Juventus, you know, teams like that, you look at Derby as well. There's only one outcome if these charges are are, are, are proven. You know, they're only alleged at the minute, but if they are proven, the City have to go down. They, they just have to. And and what knock-on effect that has for them is, is less to my concern. But,
2: I I just want to comment on this This They're saying don't conflate unethical behavior with rule breaking. This is a common thing that I'm hearing come out about like, okay, why are we going after city? We're not going after, say, for example, Chelsea. And my thing that I want to say to that is, do you really think Chelsea isn't breaking the rules? Do you really think that if we did the same level of investigation to Chelsea, that we wouldn't find just as much scrutiny over the books? They came from Roman Abramovich is an uh, is not only just corrupt oil money. He's an oligarch that's connected with the corrupt Russian government. Do you think that his money's legit? But even but even
1: if you even if you strip back, and even to take it away from maybe the 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 source of the money or the or the people that are holding the money. But even if you talk hmm. about that, what Felix has mentioned there, which look is a is a valid point to bring up.
2: Uh, no, I agree. But, I but, agree. But, I, I but, see where
1: he's coming from. But but what I would say is that uh, do you consider it unethical to take these smaller clubs who are trying to ab- abide by the rules, put the money hmm. into their club correctly? Climb the leagues, get to the point, and and conventionally build their team up to be where you are. While you're cooking your books to keep them down in the depths of the leagues, I, I'm not sure that that's ethical whatsoever. And you're doing it with cloaks and daggers. That that, that 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 that's my. You look at teams like you just mentioned, the perfect football club, in my opinion, at the minute is is Brighton. The, you know, you know the 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 way of Brighton are, are are operating is absolutely spot on, and I think that for a club like man city to cook their books and and as i said do things the way they're doing it to keep clubs like that down that can be classes unethical in my opinion that's more than breaking the rules
2: mm-hmm. and you brought up that you know there's evidence that's being um you know w- w- there has to be a lot of evidence here and we've started to see these um new leaks these new emails that are coming out that are incredibly damning what what's that i'm i'm hearing some Wait, breaking news. It looks like the informant that leaked the emails has been revealed. It was Arteta all along. Agent Arteta. you love to see it. No, but seriously, um, what's go? For those of you that don't understand the joke, what's going on over at City is they actually have some incredibly damning emails. In those emails, there's statements of, "Hey, say whatever," and they're going to get the spot, um, put whatever value you need down, and the sponsor will pay that. For those of you that understand how sponsorship works, sponsors do not give you a blank check and like have you, you know, sign off checks to whatever value it is. Sponsors give you a set of amount of money and you create your budget from that money. Having this, and the date of this email is incredibly important because this was after the contracts were signed. This means that there's, again, more and less money. Not, not only is that lying about the books, um, lying about the money that you're receiving from the sponsorship, but it's also kind of shows you that the sponsorship in itself wasn't created in the interest of the sponsor. Like, no sponsor is just going to give you, hey, I'm going to give you a blank check to do with whatever you want because I just believe in your product so much, like that said, no businessman ever in his life. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of this is this is crazy. Now, I want to ask you, what do you think should happen? Like what? What what do you see the ripple effects? Like what? We were just talking about: should league titles be taken away? Should it be a fine? Should it be a transfer ban? Should they get relegated? Should they get dissolved? How do you? How do you? What do you want to happen? And then, what do you think is going to happen? Um, look, I've sort of
1: loosely touched on it, but I think that the stripping of titles and the awarding of titles and league positions and stuff like that, it's its its too complex, I think, because there's such a knock-on effect. You know, teams will turn around and say, yeah, OK, well, Man United came second in this season and Liverpool came second. Take the title off City and give it to that. But what about the people that missed out on top four? And what about the teams that were relegated due to a three-point difference that they lost a game to Man City? The knock-on effect is huge, so I think that's going to be too complex to do and mm-hmm. out of the realms of reality, in my opinion. Um, I think that what I would like to see happen is uh, automatic relegation. <clears> is <throat> what I what, what I think sh- should happen. What do you think will happen? I don't think that they'll do that. Uh, I, I don't as I mentioned earlier, I don't have faith in the Premier League to, to make a decision like that. I think that Man City is too much of an attraction to them in terms of a football and brand at the minute, even though that brand will be tarnished after whatever punishment <laughs> is dished out. I think the most likely outcome is probably that Man City will get a hefty fine and start whatever the season after the judgment is with, with some level of points deduction, whether that be 10 or 15 or whatever. Um, but for me as well, let's forget about Arsenal for a second. Let's just talk about <laughs> football in general. Putting the Getting this under wraps for me is, is one of the most important things. We're looking at players now like... Uh, Mihailo Mudra who had played uh, less than a season's worth of senior appearances, moving for a hundred mm-hmm. million pounds. Why is Casero getting bids rejected for eighty million? We're looking at Anthony moving for eighty million, Harry Maguire moving for eighty million. It's it's I think it's truly disgusting the, the the level of money that's being exchanged for 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 players now, and that's from teams like like Man City, like Chelsea, like United. You know, bombing the the market up uh, to. Uh, uh, to an extent where teams just can't compete anymore. So, Owen, Owen, I want to, I
2: want to say, I want to say this, and I, and I, and I, and I hope you can e- appreciate this. Understand that with the amount of money that the Premier League has spent on players this season, even just like say the the ones that you've named, you probably could have ended hunger in England. Mm-hmm. Just think about that for a moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it is. It's disgusting. And look, you have to put it under perspective. There's obviously supply and demand, and you can't completely. Yeah expect you know footballers to earn you know minimum wage or the same as someone stacking shelves and tesco's or that's just not what happens you know they're going to be yeah, well 100 percent but it's mm-hmm. the frequency at which which the, those levels of money are being spent i remember um fernando torres who was one of the most decorated strikers in european football moving to chelsea for 50 million and people were like jesus 50 million quid whereas now that's that's that's, that's couch change you know, the, for 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 football clubs now to be thrown about, I think all you have to do is look at around other leagues in Europe, like the Bundesliga, like La Liga, like Serie A, and look at the levels of money that they spend on players in comparison to the Premier League. We are literally flooding Europe with our money and not taking much of it back in. So mm. this isn't a footballing problem. I think this is an English footballing problem more than anything.
2: Mm. Yeah, and I I think that I I like how you put that because I think that of the teams that you can say that participate in that kind of Tom foolery that the Premier League kind of participates in they're kind of forced into that, to that position. I remember years and years ago, I, this might've be even been a decade decade ago. Now um, it might've been the old Barca president, or it might've been Real Madrid. One of the two just came out and said, well, that's how much money you have to spend when you're competing against the enemy. And they said the enemy was England at that time. And I think that oftentimes like, yeah, it, it, you know, it, Paying eighty million for for Antony doesn't just raise the price for Arsenal. It raises the price for Barcelona. It raises the price for Bayern Munich. It raises the price for PSG. Granted, and I think that the reason why a lot of the financial situations that, for example, Barcelona and Real Madrid are in right now are a result of them trying to keep up with something that they just can't. Eventually, and we knew this, again, by the way, I wanted to say that nobody didn't see this coming. We said all of these things when the Premier League uh, signed its first billion dollar TV rights deal. All of us were like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" And we saw how much we're like, "Okay, in about 5 years, you're going to have teams that are so well funded, so much money that that they're going to be able to they they they're going to outspend like think about it. Like Wolves outspent Real Madrid. Nottingham Forest outspent Bayern Munich. Like these are teams that are At the bottom of our table, and they're outspending teams that have been the decorated champions for for years, and you wonder why those leagues are one-horse races, because that's the only way that they feel that they can compete. So there's a huge knock-on, and there's a huge question on, is this money – Helping or hurting the football. Are we getting a better product because of the way that we're investing this money and choosing to spend in the ways that we are? I would argue that I do think the Premier League is incredibly entertaining. And I do think it's an incredibly competitive, but I don't know if it's necessarily, is this Premier League better than it was back in the nineties when there was less money? I don't know.
1: Um. See, I'd say in modern days as well is that even though you do have this mammoth of a club like Man City there and, and the money that Newcastle may have and potentially, you know, that Man United may have if a takeover does happen. But I think that the, the, the money in, in the English game in terms of TV rights and the distribution of that money actually has the Premier League. Um, the, there was more of a vacuum at the top, in my opinion. Back in the day, you had Arsenal, you had United, maybe Liverpool, but then Chelsea obviously got bought in and stuff like that. But down at the bottom, there was less money. But we're even, as you said, seeing teams like like Wolves outspend and Real Madrid, you know. So the money from top to bottom is is heavy. But I think um, what ramifications can this have on City in the short term? Well, this investigation, as we said, may take two to four years. Do you think that maybe a player a player like Kevin De Bruyne is going to want to hang his uh, hat on the Man City door anymore and and, and and be there for the rest of his career? Do you think the players like Jude Banningham may consider signing? Do you think play, uh, coaches like Pep Guardiola is going to want to stay there and maybe potentially tarnish the remainder of the peak years of his career there? I'm not sure. So mm-hmm. This, whilst may not have an immediate impact in terms of charges and and, and, and punishments being dealt may have some serious ramifications in terms of uh, the 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 people that are there um, at the Mm -hmm. club at the minute not wanting to be there for very much longer
2: yeah this is the race for holland uh when they go down uh and you you know what's funny about that i think somebody brought up bully too and i've got one for bully as well (laughs) do what you must. have already won, Um, but uh, yeah, I I do think that that is those are the two I think most interesting implications to them going down. Not only obviously, I I don't think I I want people to understand that a, it's not. If you're looking for a 15 point deduction to happen this season, it's not. It's not, and I, I wouldn't want to win the title that way anyway. And if you think that because they may strip um, um, city of their titles that Manchester United, for example, gets that title in 2012, that's also not how it's going to work. There's just going to be an asterisk next to their title. It's too complicated for us to go back, like you were saying, and and award those things. So the things that are interesting and realistic are actually, um, are actually the players like where are the players going to where are the players going to go where's the manager going to go those are the two interesting things does Pep Guardiola continue after this does he go on to Brazil does he return to Barcelona as as he's kind of hinted at does he does he try does he try to oust Arteta never going to happen um do is there a player out of that group like, like, like let's play let's pretend like you know Magic happens. We wave our magic wand. We get to everybody gets to pick one city player. Arsenal, because we're top of the league and we received the most banter of the last decade, gets the first round pick. Who are you taking?
1: Um, that's that's a difficult one. Really, really difficult. Uh, I'm going to go for a really left field one here. Yeah, uh, a real left field one. But uh, Rico Lewis. Um, the young defender because I think that that role that Zinchenko plays it's very very difficult to get the attributes that he has to play that position they're very rare in a player that can, can do that and to me he seems like somebody with those uh, capabilities mm-hmm. also Man City are surprisingly old
3: <laughs> yeah. when you look
1: around their squad their their, their, their their age demographic in that squad is quite high so for me he's somebody that will retain value probably more than most Um and somebody with a really high ceiling. I think that a lot of players there are probably at their peak at the minute, but he's one that I would maybe look at.
2: Yeah, yeah, I could see Rico. I could see Rico Lewis. I would go for a midfielder, actually. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, as, you know, despite his baby face, is 31. So I actually wouldn't go for that. is a really good shout. Um, Bernardo Silva's another one, I think. I think those would have to be the the two that I would really be looking at. But for the first time in a long time, I'm not super interested. I mean, Holland, I guess I. You you take Holland. I I guess that's the right answer. But, you know, I'm not even as interested in him, the way that he's kind of deformed their team. Um, All right, so last question on this, because I think that we're all going to wrap. We do have Brentford coming up on the weekend. I think that's going to be really interesting. Um, Do you think that this is going to have any bearing on the title race at all? Do you think that maybe this is going to be the thing that kind of is the last nail in the coffin? We were already talking about City being a team in transition. Uh, we, saw out, we saw the fallout with Concello. There's word that there's other fallouts happening behind the scenes. Is this the thing that's going to make it so that we won't see City put together one of those epic 10-game run uh, win streaks that we're, we're accustomed to at this part of the season?
1: Um Potentially, but it could also potentially do the complete opposite and, and, <laughs> yeah, and, so and, 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 and galvanize them. The only thing that I would say to give me some confidence that that won't happen is that I'm pretty sure that the uh, the city squad and and Pep would have been mm-hmm. aware that this news was was coming out beforehand. Maybe that's why we're seeing them, you know, stutter mm-hmm. so much in in the league this season. Um But listen. <laughs> I think that, I don't know, I said this earlier, it was such a cliché thing to do. The main thing for this Arsenal side is to drown out the outside noise. Mm-hmm. Let's forget about what City are doing. Um, Brantford are a team in very, very good form with a, a striker that is fine in the back of the neck consistently that that likes to get a goal against us. We know the history we have with Ivan Tony. the nice kick about shit that went on. Is he playing? The, Isn't he banned? Uh, I'm not sure. I think he's still. I think he's still playing.
2: Okay. Uh,
1: yeah. Um. So there's going to be a little bit of animosity between us and them. So, uh, I'll only worry about City on the fifteenth. That's when I'll worry about City. <laughs> uh, it's going to be arguably the biggest game that we've potentially played in in the Premier League era since since uh, league titles have been won. Um, and it's going to be absolutely huge. But l- listen, these mm-hmm. charges. I don't think. They- Put it like this: We're going to forget about this entire city with Ma- uh, the situation with Man City and and their finances long before we'll ever hear the outcome of them. And um, this is something that's going to be uh, forgotten about relatively quickly, I think. And and everybody will just get back to the football.
2: Yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I think that you're I think that you're about right. I, I do want to say like this is why you're the alpha wolf. Okay, what a chat. I don't worry about city until we play them. What a Chad, what, what an absolute boss. Like he just like, like, like Owen comes in here he goes, Oh, I, there are other teams in the league. I, I don't think about them. And you know, it's, I just worry about what we do. You know, I don't city small club. Um, I, I do want to ask you one final question in case I don't see you until after the game coming come, comes up on the weekend. Uh, do you make any changes and what's your prediction for the scoreline?
1: Yeah, well, this is a, a, it's a situation that I don't really um, envy Mikel Arteta for because this is a, a, a part of the season that rotation is going to be necessary, regardless of form. You know, people talking about, um, uh, Gabrielle Martinelli potentially being a little bit off the pace and and, and Ben White as well. Then you know being surpassed by Tommy Asy. But regardless of the reason why rotation is going to be necessary for me, um we've obviously, as we've talked about plenty with that big game against city. So I think that we may see Trossard, may see Tommy Asu come in, but this is the beauty of having the depth that we do now have is that it doesn't panic me anymore. You know, Gabriel Martinelli getting a rest may be good for him, but we've got Trossard there. You know, we've got Jorginho now who's very capable and has a, a track record of proving that he's capable of, of, of playing in a midfield in the premier league. So these are all the good things I think. And, uh, It isn't that it it was an alpha thing about the City thing. It was more the fact that I shit myself a lot with games. And I think that I'm terrified of Branford, as stupid as that may be, with the (laughs) that we're in. I just get very nervous. But I do think that uh, we'll be able to prove a point after that Everton game. And I'm going to go for a 3-1 win. And I think that Martin Odegaard is going to, I think, play a pivotal part in that because he he was questioned in that Everton game. And I think he's going to come up
2: with a few answers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it, is it uh, confidence or is it PTSD? You you be you decide at home. <laughs> All right, everyone, that's going to be the show. We um, I like to end the show with a meme, so we're going to do this, and we're out.
0: London, everybody.
2: I'm Kate Abdo, joined by the Champions League winner with Barcelona, Thierry Henry. <laughs> Champions League winner with Liverpool, Jamie Carragher, and the man with five appearances in the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> that's welcome. <cold>. <laughs> <laughs> TGP.
0: Out! Watching the Gooners Podcast, a production of TGP Media, wholly on subsidiary of Wanker Broadcasting Company, Limited PLC. All rights and likenesses, except for Owens, are available for purchase and distribution according to the historical tenets of bird law. Make sure to check out the Gooners Podcast Patreon at patreon.com forward slash TGP. Find Gooners V Cancer at goonersvcancer.com and don't forget, get them credit cards out. The Gooners Podcast has been brought to you thanks to a generous investment from Elon Musk as well as the letter G and the number 69. Remember, Gooner family, that taught get better everywhere they go. TGP, out.